The following podcast is brought to you by the Ugreen Nexode Pro 100 watt GAN charger. You can get 15% off this fine charger through a link in the description that also helps the channel and also find access to their other fine products that are on discount right now. Or you can also support the channel by going to cdkeyoffer.com and using offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off all Microsoft keys. You can also use code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off Vite Ramen and other fine Vite products like their Nano Boost powder. And we will talk about these products more later, but for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by somebody who well, I've spoken with many times over the past few years, but who hasn't been on the show but for a few years. Actually, this my channel is actually quite a bit smaller, I believe, than the last time you were on. Um, and a lot has actually, uh, a lot, lot, lot has changed in the console space since the last time mm-hmm. you were on. I would argue far more than I would have expected. Um, but please um, introduce yourself and please tell me if you agree with that. Yeah, uh, well, it's good to see you. Uh, yeah, my name's Colin Moriarty. I'm the founder and CEO of Last Stand Media, which is uh, the world's largest fan-funded games network, games podcast network. I, try to, I usually write it, I usually don't say it, so it's, it's, I have to think about it in my head. Um, and I host uh, Sacred Symbols, which is our... Um, our flagship podcast and that's the world's biggest playstation podcast so and yet things have radically changed it's interesting in some ways i'm even more bullish about consoles than i've ever been <laughs> and, and in other ways it's obviously that obvious that they're they're going away it just depends on kind of what you're talking about but things are markedly different now than the last time we spoke well i would say two things um number one i mean just you know i think people often probably remember you especially if they used to watch you we were on previous podcasts that you were on that as a PlayStation guy, but your network has Nintendo podcasts, Xbox podcasts, podcasts that have nothing to do on paper with consoles or gaming. So I think that's, I think you're an interesting person to have on just to talk about the landscape, you know, itself. Like yours is, is you know, you host a PlayStation podcast, but I would not describe the podcast as one that just kind of, I don't know, like some of those, <laughs> some of those console podcasts that basically only exist to hype up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, where our show is often considered like the anti-hype of PlayStation in some sense. Like we're grounded PlayStation fans, and we have a rule. I mean, the the way the, the we have two co-hosts, or I have two co-hosts, and Dustin and Chris, and we use the the term always, often, sometimes, and that means like I always play on PlayStation. Dustin often plays on PlayStation. Chris sometimes plays on PlayStation. And it keeps our show actually somewhat agnostic, even though we only focus on PlayStation-centric news and the third-party stuff that would involve PlayStation. And it's important on our network to have the Xbox show, the Nintendo show, anchored by equally expert but fair-minded people as well. Like Gene Park from the Washington Post is one of the co-hosts of our Nintendo podcast. And Mr. Matty Plays and Lord Cognito, who are well-known in the Xbox space and are very fair Xbox people, um, host our Xbox podcast. So yeah, I get a little taste of everything, but... As far as I'm concerned, I I just play on on PlayStation mostly in my own life. You know, it's funny you called your podcast kind of the anti PlayStation PlayStation podcast mm-hmm. because as I, I 
kind of get accused of that a lot too. Is like a gaming hardware podcast where there's just a lot of podcasts that are like, there's this new graphics card from NVIDIA, this new processor from Intel, you know, this new feature from AMD. And then they talk about only why it's going to be good. And I feel like me and my co-host Dan, half of the time we're talking about like, ah, this is not going to do well. And sometimes people get mad at that. But I mean, some of the success I would say for any podcast like that is the fact that it's a breath of fresh air. I'm sure your fans imagine, right, Colin, that you're not only talking about why every game will for sure sell 20 million copies and everything's perfect with their, you know, the brand they play on. Sure. In fact, we asked the opposite question we often bring up recently, which is, you know, how did God of War Ragnarok sell so well? Like, it's it's great, but it's not that good. Like, it's not that good. Like, the, the way people talk about yeah. some of these PlayStation games. So we're the... To me, Tom, and I, I think you'd probably agree, especially in video games, like just the optics of video games, it's somewhat... The more you play and the more you're experiencing this... I've been in the industry for 22 years, but I've been playing games for a lot longer than that. It's like, the more, when you see games and understand them and read about them what's good about them or could potentially be good about them should almost come off as obvious. It's mm-hmm. the stuff that is below the surface, the, the possible foibles and the way you can deconstruct how games don't work and the industry and the economics of games, that's much less obvious. And that's what's fun. And so getting into those things causes some controversy, but it also long-term pans out. Like I have long-term years-long bets that have just paid off in terms of things I've been saying, including recently with Xbox. Um, starting to release games third party. And um, you have to lay those bets, even if they're unpopular, in order to say what you feel like you mean or the way you see things. The fanboy kind of shit, I, I actually get annoyed when people call me a fanboy because it's so obvious that I'm not. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of PlayStation. I have been a big fan of PlayStation since the first one. Um, I play all my games on PlayStation. I've made my career around PlayStation. I made my money on PlayStation and all of the rest. Like, there's no doubt about it. But a fanboy? I take umbrage with that. And that to me is the, the always seeing bright blue skies. And that's just not the way I, I see things. So yeah, I think that that feeds the podcast very well. Everyone else sounds the same, in my opinion. No, yeah. And I, I think um, one thing I, I've, when I've listened to your podcast, one thing you pointed to a few times is the fact that no one, or, or I mean, like someone would, I'm sure some studios would, but for the most part, a lot of studios do not send you games for free. Certainly Sony does not want to send you games for free. And I would say it's the same you know, with I've never once received a graphics card from AMD or NVIDIA or any processor for free for review ever. And I've seen people in the comments go, depending on the video, like this guy must be getting paid by like AMD or why is he hating on And It's like, guys, I've never received a single card from any of these people because they know I will be critical and not follow their talking points. And so I'm just not even in consideration. It's, I wonder how you feel about that, how weird it must be to like see, because I see this, like I'll see a YouTube channel with, and and I'm not trying to brag or hate on anybody, but like they will be like, you know, 5,000 subscribers and receive a free graphics card for review. I'm sure you see the same thing with oh, like yeah, receiving free I do. games. There are people in games where I'm like, I don't even know what, what the point of you getting this stuff is, but that's, that's fine. You know, I don't... Uh, I think, first of all, and it's funny with co- game codes, they're, because mm. I, 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 I co-own a publisher, an indie publisher and developer of games, and codes are just given to you, like when I put up, when we put up a game on PSN, you get a document with like a thousand codes in it that are just automatically generated for you to give away. So it's almost nothing for these companies to give these codes oh, yeah. away, and it makes the, the people like that have small, ga- you know, followings feel special or whatever, but it's funny, man, like. We, I come from IGN. I was the senior editor of IGN PlayStation for many years. 
And obviously we had a great relationship with Sony and a relationship with the developers. But as time went on, not only did those become more fragmented, but when we started getting cut off because people don't like me or whatever the case might be, when we started Sacred Symbols in 2018, uh, we basically just embraced that we're not going to accept games or early access from or any free anything from any anyone. And we turned down all endemic ads. We've turned down easily deep six figures at this point in mm-hmm. in endemic advertising, meaning like we will not advertise a game. We will not like we a, a, an example, an explicit example. I can give you two of them actually. Is one the Last of Us podcast thing that they were mm-hmm. doing, and the second one that was more recently was Backbone which we really liked the backbone before the portal came out. It was really cool. And we turned them down. So we don't want to have any conflicting interest or the, because this is something you don't understand when you're in mainstream media mm-hmm. is that the, the reality is, is that I had relationships with PR people and you're being manipulated. It's a game of manipulation, but you yeah. kind of are manipulating each other. I'm manipulating you for the access. I need to do my job. You're manipulating me for coverage and you hope it's good. But there really isn't anything untoward going on. At least in my experience, there really wasn't. Like there wasn't, no, no one, I had incredible power at IGN. No one came to me and said, like, I'll give you $10,000 to make sure that reviews. It never happens, right? But I understand why people might get that perception. And the thing with sacred symbols is that you cannot possibly have that perception. We have mm-hmm. not even, co- we are the biggest PlayStation podcast in the world and have not corresponded one time with PlayStation PR since 2019 for any reason. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't reached out to us. We haven't reached out to them. We haven't asked them for anything. For, but sometimes you'll reach out for comment or something. We don't even do that anymore. Like it's been like five years since we've even had a correspondence with the mothership, as it were. So we're the anti-hype game, podcast. It's just the rea- It's the real PlayStation podcast, and I think getting games early and and I know this cycle. Not that this is important to the show or whatever, but you get games early. Like people are playing Final Fantasy VII Rebirth right now. We're recording this on February fifth. I know people that have it. The game comes out February 29th. By the time that game comes out. The embargo is the 22nd, I think. The game comes out the 29th. By the time they've played it, they're already moved on to the next game, but the Zeitgeist hasn't even captured the game yet because they haven't even started to play it, but I get to be in it. Mm-hmm. like, And I don't have to live by embargoes and NDAs anymore. It's very freeing, but it's a bespoke sort of situation too because I have all this experience and, and people know who I am. If you're trying to build yourself up, that early access is obviously vital and that's where the conflicts of interest come in and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny. Um, I know there was this, it was actually, I guess it's probably somewhat safe for me to talk about this now. It's not like I signed anything that would get me in trouble, but like, you know, these people at AMD asked me to not like talk about the meeting much, but this was like at this point, I believe at least two years ago, where it was after I had leaked this code name called Bergamo for this big CPU with 128 cores they were launching to server. I think that really caught AMD off guard in like one of their heads of marketing. I won't say out of respect who for the people listening, but it was one of their heads of marketing had a personal meeting with me. And this person was like asking me kind of odd questions like, what are you looking for in the future? And I believe they were trying to both go on a fishing expedition to see if they could figure out how I learned some of this stuff, frankly, which just so that person knows I had a meeting with, I swapped around the genders of the people I was referencing I was talking to and division. So I completely tried to throw them off when I talked to them. Yeah, that's good discipline. That's good discipline. I try to use the term they, you know. Yeah, I know. But what I also tell people is if I were to say she or he, like, are you sure I'm using the right one? I mean, like, you don't think I might think to use. Yeah, totally. But, um, uh, But anyways, though, and it seemed like they, I will use they for them now, though. They wanted to kind of see if they could 
make some sort of deal where I talked less, but they like would send me stuff mm-hmm. to review. Again, no, they weren't going to pay me off for good reviews. They weren't, they were going to like, but can we bring you in? And I said, I would love to do reviews of products if you would send me them. It's just, I, there will not be a contract for anything that says that I have to say anything or touch on any points. If my review is recording me, just throwing your graphics card into a brick wall, that's the review. But I'm not going to throw your graphics card into a brick wall. You know, it's just, totally. but, and they just stopped talking to me after that. And I think they took that as an insult, but I'm like, no, I'm just saying you can't tell me what to say. I would probably say good things about it if I thought it was yeah, good. You have though. to, you have to see where it lands. Like th- it's funny that we saw this with the insomniac leak recently over the holiday where a lot of websites didn't touch it. And I'm like, and I told my audience, I'm like, you have to understand that they're doing this to protect themselves with PlayStation. Mm. Like, we don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if PlayStation does well or doesn't. I don't give a shit if Sony does well or doesn't. I don't care. I'm here to just, I want the games to be good. And I yeah. believe that they make good games. But ultimately, I'm not the arbiter of that. I'm just an observer. Mm-hmm. And you have to just call balls and strikes. For people that find that difficult, that means you're too intertwined with the companies you're following. And by the way, when I have personal relationships with people or whatever, I make that very clear. Like you shouldn't believe what I say, not believe, but you should take what I say with a, like Judas. I'm friends with Ken Levine, right? Take what I say with a grain of salt. You should just know that. I'm going to tell you what I think about it, but you should know that there's a conflict of interest. That kind of shit. People are like, <laughs> people respect that. You know, why wouldn't you do that? But anyway, I digress. But uh, so I, I want to jump into something then that you mentioned, though, which you said you're more bullish on console now than ever. What makes you say that? Because it feels like, and you could tell me if I'm wrong on this. Mm. First of all, consoles didn't sell nearly as well 25 years ago as they do now, right? So like we could have been very bullish on the SNES, but the SNES sold basically 2.5x less than the PS4. So mm-hmm we're in a totally different spectrum of gaming now, right? And I think that we entered that probably with the PS2, but that was more of a mass market DVD player that was really huge in emerging markets in the third world. So they were releasing games on it until 2013, 2014. In fact, there's, I was just reading about this, this obscure Sony published game that came out on PS2 in 2014 only in India. And it's, oh, like, an, I believe that. Yeah, and it's like an action, it, like game you never even heard of, but they published it. And I'm like, I don't, and it was made by a developer um, endemic to India. So, I look at the situation now and I'm like, okay, consoles are still selling really well, even though there are more and more and more and more options to not use them. And I remember being at IGN and when mobile gaming was big, we hired a mobile gaming editor and we were really chasing what we thought would be commensurate traffic for what was going on on mobile gaming, but it wasn't so. And I think there's something about the stickiness of console gaming that I can't ignore because people have their phones, their tablets, they have their TVs, they have their computers, their laptops, their desktops. They have their fucking goggles. They have everything. And they're still buying consoles hand over fist in the year 2024. They're still Mm -hmm. buying switches, which are these ancient tablet devices. They're buying a PS5, PS5s by the millions a month, even Mm -hmm. though there is a PS5 Pro coming out. And even though there are not that many exclusive games on it that are really pushing the console, I really look at the vi- the vibrancy of the market with Nintendo and Sony specifically. And I'm like, this seems, if I were them, see, I remember being at IGN and we would have like the big vaunted videos, the game scoops and stuff. And PS4 was coming out and be like, is this the last console? And you could earnestly answer it though. But remember, put yourself there, right? Like, no, I know I, I remember, but it just yeah. felt like every generation, it started with people, well, 
to my memory, it really went crazy. I don't know. I mean, I think in the 2000s, you know, gaming PCs were getting cheaper and faster, and they were like, no one's going to want consoles anymore because of how strong PCs are. And then the PS3 and 360 actually also proved that for the price, no, they can make a console that can do graphics people didn't think you could do for like $500, which I guess in hindsight, you really couldn't do it for $500. I believe those right. Exactly. Those the more Sony sold PS3 is the worst they did, which was... <laughs> Same with 360, really? by the way, at least at first, I believe they were selling the original one for like $200 below cost. It was just a ridiculous war of attrition that gen. But then tablets came out, and it, it's like this weird thing that keeps happening when a new thing comes out. And they go, oh, well, tablets are accelerating in sales, so it must happen forever. It's like the Japanese economy is going to replace the U.S. and GDP because surely this line will always go up. Right, exactly. It won't possibly end. And, you know... That just didn't happen. Like smartphones got faster and faster, but they were getting faster at a faster rate because they were newer. So they had, they were starting from zero and then it slowed down. And now smartphones don't seem to really get that much faster at all every year compared to what they used to. And I just feel like once, once PC didn't kill console once, and by the way, and once tablets didn't kill console or PC, which by the way, there's also been times that's where I would come in and say, well, I've seen them say consoles going to kill PC over and over as well. Yeah. But PC gaming was kind of dead too, for a while. It did really get revived. Don't you think like in 2000, like post crisis, I think it depends what you're comparing it to, because I mean, my understanding, you know, this was years ago. I did some of the, uh, I forgot his, um, his, I'm blanking on his name, but He's from the website PC Perspective, and he was talking about how when we complain about how expensive PCs are right now, like a mid-range PC in the 90s, mid-range, not high-end, he said was four grand. That's not adjusting for inflation either. (laughs) That was four grand. Now I'd say mid-range PC is $1,200. I would have said 10 years ago it was actually 800 So yeah, it's more expensive than it used to be right now or something. My Sony Vio in 1996 that my family bought for our family computer, Pentium 1, uh, 128 uh, megs of RAM, I think, something like that. $3,200. Yeah, in, I mean, in, in actual money. So that would be more like $6,000 today. Yeah, so it's... So I don't, I don't know, know how mainstream it ever was in the past, though, is what I would say. It's yeah, like, yeah. The, the people playing PC, it was, it, was, it was very niche compared to console. Now, they were a lot stronger. They were also 10 times the price of a console back mm-hmm. then. So I think PCs going through... I think in general, gaming's kind of just never been bigger. Um, but I think that there's a lot of ebb and flow on the margins in like different communities right now. Like I think there's a lot of people that built PCs 10 years ago. Um, I think a lot of them, frankly, were like, it was because of the Xbox One. I've talked about this. They went from the Xbox One to PC. And there's a lot of these people, I think, are realizing they just kind of wish they had a console, though. So I think people are realizing what they like out of consoles, and a lot of the stupid arguments are gone. Like, there's only so many times you can say PC or console is going to die before no one takes you seriously. Right, exactly. And I think both PC and console has become easier to play, but that's the thing. Like PC is becoming easier to download Steam, easier to play these games, it's more accessible, I think, to some of the weaker hardware than it used to be, where every two years you just needed a new PC to play any recent game. That's not really usually that true anymore. It may not run as well, but it's not really true anymore. At the same time, though, also play, I mean, at least with the PlayStation 5, and, and you know, I've recently used a Series X over the uh, New Year's as well, like at a friend's house for a while. Also, console has never been easier to press the on button and start the game as well. So 
Um, sorry, I think we just kind of got into like three different tangents there. No, it's all good. I, I think just to cap it off what I was saying about, if I might, about my bullishness on consoles is that maybe a more artful way to say it in the mid to long term is I'm more bullish about platform gaming than mm. I've ever been. At some point, PlayStation will be a cloud gaming service. I don't know mm. if that's going to be in 25 years. At some point, they're not going to make a console anymore. Like, obviously. I just think that you look around, you look at emerging markets, you look at Brazil, you look at, dude, I don't know if you read, this went way under the radar and we reported on it on Sacred, but no one was talking about this, is that Sony just announced that they were investing massive amounts of money in Africa. Um, hmm. And they no, they, 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 they they have an agreement with um, Carry First, which is the biggest publisher in all of Africa. And they're, gonna, they're doing their India Hero Project. They've already done their China Hero Project. Games like, Stellar Blade coming from South Korea, not traditionally a mm. console gaming market. I think, I guess the point I'm making is that people have been given so many options to not play consoles and they just come back to the console over and over and over again. And, and actually, I think the sales of the Switch, specifically mm. these long tail sales of the Switch, show that many people do not care about the power differential. Like they really just like this gaming devices. It's kind of a bummer, like when you look at it, and this is go, gets into your, your own reporting about a potential third handheld from Sony is like, it's bad timing. A great example of this is on live. Pretty good idea. Mm. Way too early, right? Or, oh, for sure. or Ouya. Pretty bad idea for the time, but actually looks pretty smart now because you see all of these like boutique hardware mm. devices coming out that play games. It's all about timing. And I just think that one day the Nexus of convenience and no more hardware and all and technologies or whatever will preclude them from making hardware. But it just seems like those conversations that we had in earnest, and I think from a good place, like an, a sound place intellectually of saying, 2013, will PS4 be the last PlayStation console? It's like, maybe. But now you see PS5 and, mm. and PS6 and it's like, will PS6 be the last console? And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, no, it, I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> you know? Well, that's what. Well, that's that's where I would jump in and go. I'm actually not convinced cloud gaming is ever going to replace these. And um, I don't know where I. I think I. If you were to ask me five years ago, because there was the uh, what was it? It's funny. I'm almost forgetting it already. Google Stadia, <sighs> yeah. um, like Stadia. which. God, that. Real, I mean, I didn't. I don't know what I really expected in terms of success, but it definitely crashed and burned harder. Doa, than I, I, I famously have a tweet the day it was announced, being like, "This thing is done. Like, it's no no chance because it's Google mostly. Like, the, it's very similar yeah. to Microsoft. Like, there are just companies that don't really know how to do this. And, well, but who would have yeah. thought that the the internet company was the company that would have the worst latency compared to even like Sony using Gaikai or like these Skunksworks projects? These companies threw together apparently played better than Stadia did. But again, it's Google, so I don't know what else we would expect out of them. But like the thing is, I think what's something that like Stadia has proven something that I actually don't know how well the Xbox streaming thing is going. I, I know Nvidia has their own, and it's not how I game. The latency would just annoy the living crap out of me. But I think some conclusion I've come to is I'm starting to think it's just a physics argument why I'm a hundred years from now, I, I don't know. I mean, I, anything could, I mean, maybe we'll be using consoles with jetpacks on them. But like I'm saying, in the next 20 years, I don't see the path, like the electoral path, if you will, to how streaming works. Because anytime you stream something, there is going to be latency in a perfect internet. The internet could be perfect. The latency is going to be there and it's going to feel worse than running it natively. Mm. 
at a lower frame rate. So every time the internet becomes more ubiquitous, the box becomes cheaper. Like we could give you the same experience now in a $200 box. And your examples of people buying the Switch is actually, I would say, an argument for what I'm saying. Mm. Exactly. People want to play it on a device that you press a button and it does the thing they want it to do. I think that just means people aren't going to be afraid to pay $500 for a console. And anytime, anytime the internet infrastructure gets better to make streaming work, the probably the technology to make the box cheaper also happened at the same time. And like the, the way Google... I think it was Google talked about how they would make Stadia work is they were just like, well, we're going to build cloud servers in every city that I'm like, well, how much does one of these mainframes cost? Yeah, would it be cheaper to just make a thousand consoles for that neighborhood? I mean, and, what are you and, doing? And let me ask you this. This is Colin, dumb fuck Colin question, right? Because oh again, you know the tech. That's why we have you on sacred. I don't know anything about tech. I'm a, I'm a player of game. I'm an analyst. I'm a writer. I'm, I'm those kinds of things. So I, I ask you this with earnest and earnest, you know, in an earnest stance, what stops them from having some sort of very small, you have to stream through something, right? Like your phone mm -hmm. or your TV or whatever, like a cache. This is like where my mind goes. And this is probably doesn't make any sense to you, but like a small cache that's like 10 seconds latent where it shoots like the game and all of its potentials. So like you're playing Bioshock, you're in the first level of Rapture or whatever. It's sending you like the next 10 seconds of the game that's cash and making the decisions locally as it's backfilling the data that's running forward so that it only it has locally like the next permutation of what you can do. Does this make sense? Like why in, in other words, why does it have to be why does all of the computing have to go from A to B as opposed to having some sort of local intermediary that's like kind of buffering it? So that well, it's, you, it makes I think no you could do that for like the next level. Like, let's say the the computational power you need to generate the next level is like immense. Right. Okay. I see. You could I see. do that, and then basically just download the data like five minutes later. But the level needs to be in the console, right? Because, like, you know, right. like an example I would give, um, and some examples I would give of like the issues these companies like AMD and Intel are running into right now, like. Like when you see gigahertz, that's, you know, millions and millions like of operations in a second. They're moving an electron that many times. We just call it a gigahertz. And think about the, like, you know, these things they're doing are like the silicon they're manufacturing. The limits are starting to become, it's taking too much time to move an electron this far. <laughs> and like a lot of the new innovations in these companies is moving the memory closer, not farther away, actually. Like, like every millimeter you add of space between two parts of a computer is more wasted heat sending the data between them. And that's why you see AMD experimenting with like Vcache and all these like ways of putting cache on the core itself because we have to keep the data close. So I don't really see how a cloud is ever really going to do that and it kind of becomes that like science like hard sci-fi mm. does not go faster than the speed of light usually because we understand that at least our current understanding of physics you can't yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's, like, fa it's fascinating to me it's like because you're right like there is such a knowing that and hearing that and then kind of considering the bullishness that you hear from some companies and clients of this sort of technology it makes you wonder what they think the solution is, or if this is just a non ultimately like a long term non starter, it's fascinating to think uh, about. And that would be great because, dude, I love console gaming. Like, 
it would, I would, I hope that I'm in the fucking, you know, old person's house when I'm 95 years old with my, my consoles. Dude, that's going to be so much better than like just watching Jeopardy and like watching your face (laughs) melt when you're 90. Like at least you can actually play a game that occupies your brain and probably keeps you from going senile as easily because you're actually exercising. I'm very interested in that. I've said that before. Is there like a connection between people who play video games and the onset of, of Alzheimer's or dementia? I bet there is. Like I, I would, you would imagine. So just the same thing of people doing crossword puzzles and staying busy with that way. It's like, if you, if, how can that not be like, if you're constantly reading, interacting, dealing with things and all this, it's like, how is that not as opposed to what, like a hundred years, not even jeopardy, like a hundred years ago, what were you even doing? You know, like what were you doing at the, at the grass? Growing, I mean, doing nothing, in front of the fireplace, honestly. reading the, the periodicals, you know, it's like, I, I mean, the honest to God answer is a hundred years ago, you were probably taking care of your grandkids uh, because they didn't have other things to help them do that. Right. And then True. there's pro, I, you know, what would be fascinating is if someone like mapped it and they're like, Alzheimer's wasn't a big thing. And then it only became a big thing in this narrow band of humanity's history because this was before we had a ton of interactive stuff people could do without moving. But this was after there was nothing. You had, you had to walk around the farm and help your kids raise their kids. But you didn't from the 70s through 2000s. You could just sit there and melt in front of a TV. And I, I, I mean, I'm sure there will always be people that choose to do that. But it'd be, it would be really interesting to like, which diseases only popped up in the time before we had the technology to make it good. But it was still f- more fun than sitting outside. Yeah, you know, totally. Um, this piece of content is brought to you by the Ugreen Nexode Pro 100 watt charger. Nexode's revolutionary tech, combined with the latest in GAN Infinity chips, give the Pro 100 watt charger a size similar to their old 65 watt, while still fitting in the palm of your hand and without substitutes in quality or power. It contains two USB-C ports and one USB-A port to provide a combined 100 watts of charging power for up to three devices, which includes smartphones, watches, tablets, laptops, and even something like a MacBook Pro 14 inch can be charged to 86% from zero in just 60 minutes. And with millisecond temperature detection protection and Ugreen's built-in thermal guard system monitors temperature change in real time and intelligently distributes appropriate current to multiple devices, providing a full fast charge without damaging battery or longevity. And heck, even the shell is made from fire-resistant and flame-retardant high-grade PVC material. They feel like incredibly high-quality materials. And if you need a compact charger that can charge your phone and even a high-powered laptop at the same time while protecting them from overcharging or temperature issues, then check out Ugreen's products in the links in the description. Remember, even just clicking on those links helps the channel a ton, and buying them through those links helps the channel even more. Check out Ugreen's 160-watt and 100-watt chargers today. But getting back to somewhat on subject here, like one of the first subjects I also wanted to bring up with you was... Um, I remember the days of like when people were complaining about the horse armor in Skyrim. Sure, that's great. Or was it Oblivion? That's I don't Oblivion. even remember. Yeah, it's Oblivion. Yeah, and like, oh my God, can you believe they would charge for horse armor? And then what I usually give it as an example to PC gamers um, is if you go back and look at Half-Life 2's launch, most people back then bought it on DVD or CD or something, but they required you to download Steam to play it. And then they would add it to your Steam library and say, you don't actually need the CD anymore. And the forums in like, I think 2001, 2002 are just livid with, can you believe they're making it so I have to install the game 
digitally and now there's updates. I cannot believe they're forcing this Counter-Strike nonsense on us. And it's like, dude, now everyone worships Gabe Newell. So things have certainly got, and, and you know, from what I hear, there were install issues when it came out. So may, that was some of it, but there were people just openly saying Steam will never take off, you know, and I want only discs because I don't want any yeah, storefront. Val- Valve is the most brilliant marketplace in all of gaming. So it's, it's a uh, or, or Steam. So it's, it's amazing to, it's amazing to think of the, the quaint beginnings of it. But do you think now is like the the easiest or one of the better times to get into and play AAA games? Because it, it's interesting how like I would say one of the main catalysts of what is sometimes called the PC gaming renaissance from like 2009 to 2018 was just the fact that it was when PCs were actually getting good. The PS3 and the 360 were so old it was painful to make them do anything that didn't take 10 minutes to do and yeah you didn't have a solid state drive in your pc back then but it would boot up in you know a minute and you could boot a game up in 30 seconds whereas the console was taking 10 minutes to do anything so it felt fast and then also steam was amazing the steam sales became famous and and you think here's the the important point you also didn't need to download Origin or Uplay or Epic or all of these other freaking storefronts um but so i'm wondering how you think about like the tediousness of AAA gaming now. And I mean that from both the perspective of jumping into it on PC or console, but also the microtransactions. Like, is, was it made, did it feel any better 10 years ago to you or five years ago? Or would you still say overall now is the best time? It's the, I think it's the best time in some sense to play big AAA games or expensive games because they, they are, I don't, they're not always great, but they, they are typically so expensive and so risky. For, to make now, like when you're investing $300 million in a game, which is just insanity. Yeah. Um, it's got to be good or you're not going to last very long. So it's somewhat safe in the, in the AAA space to at least get some level of quality. I think more probably than we've experienced per capita in a long time. But I think it's that per capita thing that's really important because I think it's probably the worst ep- time ever to play games in the indie and AA space in some sense. There's a real discoverability problem. There are way way, way, way too many games. And it's not that games, it's a philosophical problem, but it's an economic problem because what can you do about a game existing, right? Mm -hmm. If they want to make it, but there's this unrealistic expectation that all of these games can survive. And in reality, like there's no universe where we would need like a Mass Effect style galactic community of fucking races to support 17,000 games coming out every year on Steam, right? Like that's, that's untenable. And so there's, there, there are serious economic issues throughout the ladder from, from the most boutique quadruple A, if I steal an Xbox quote, uh, games all the way down to the smallest indies like we make at Lilymo that we make for tens of thousands of dollars and sell you know thousands of copies. And I think it's kind of a bummer because there was a time, I, I often reflect on this, and you'll remember this, like on the PS3 era, and certainly it was true during like the, the, the physical only era, there were weeks and even months where like almost nothing mm. came out. Oh yeah, remember, Super Rub-A-Dub, the, right. the, the, the indie game for PS3's launch, you know, e- even into the PS4 and Xbox One, um, I remember when the Xbox One came out, they were like, they finally ported that tablet halo game to xbox one that was like the game of the month that was coming out like there used to be far far less on console and i I don't think that that's like the solution either because it was 
boring sometimes. And we reviewed everything at IGN as much as we could, and we could really touch on everything. But now I think we have the opposite problem where certainly things are getting by the goalie. There are things mm-hmm. that it's a bummer. Like when I see, there are games I played a couple games last year, including a game called Gravity Circuit and a, and a, and a really more unknown one called Bat Boy, which are both these, I'm a really big 2D pixel art gamer. I love that stuff. That's what we make at Lilymo. And I went, Bat Boy is just this amazing, amazing game. And I went and looked at Steam and it had like 30 reviews or something. And I'm like, dude, that is so sad. This game is probably so much better than so much of this other trash that by virtue of just taking up, as I was talking to David Jaffe recently, the geography of the storefront, the more that that stuff happens, the more things just get bumped down and just lost in the ether. Mm -hmm. And so I'm bummed from that perspective and it's not quite what you're asking, but I just think the way you fight this, so like Steam and Valve with Steam has like this libertarian utopia storefront where anyone can put up anything in easy a- early access and whatever. It's all sorts of pricing and, and the forums. It's wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually think the console manufacturers like Sony should take the exact opposite tact, which is like, actually, we don't allow everything on here. Like we have a very a much more limited palette of games. The Nintendo seal of pro, uh, quality thing right, that happened right, lost, in the 80s. The, right, exactly, which Nintendo's lost track of more than anyone. And I don't really play on Switch, but mm. my my wife does. And I just hear, like, it's a fucking nightmare on that storefront. Oh, really? Apparently. Yeah, like, I hear that, that that storefront is the worst one. Well, that really started with the Wii, didn't it? I remember walking around a Walmart during the Wii and just the, like, $1 game bin of just these games, the shovelware I've never heard of. Well, the famous the famous shovelware game for Wii was Carnival Games. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Yeah. And it sold, like, something insane, like 40 million copies or something. And it was just a game that was in, like, a uh, a cardboard holder at the, at the register of Walmart or something oh. like that. And God, the whole day of WiiWare and stuff like that's quaint. That's just in virtual console. That's just totally quaint compared to. So the level of access has been brought down, but I think it's actually been degrading to the ability to actually find games that aren't marketed. If you don't have a marketing budget and you can't pay for that, that little stamp sized thing on the PSN or whatever, that they'll take an extra 5% from you if you or whatever, you have to pay $250,000, whatever the hell it is. It's like, if you're not that, you better hope that some YouTuber plays your game or something. Or, or um, that it's so perfectly bad that it becomes a meme and then everyone right. buys it for that reason. Right, like Life of Bi- Black Tiger was a good example of that. The, the notoriously bad PS4 game that everyone just bought. It probably sold an enormous amount of copies because it was so bad. So yeah, there is that. But yeah, so... But that's games, what you don't want. You don't want to see that happening is what you're th- saying. I'm, I've long argued this going all the way back to my days at Kind of Funny when I did a video all about this, which was like, I if I were at Sony, I would look at storefront, our storefront, and think, okay, and I know this just from being a developer and knowing people who sell games, like there are games on there so obscure and so bad that they'll sell like 50 copies, 100 copies, and that's it on a mm-hmm. PS5. I mean, you can like with a 45, 50 million person user base and the game is $10 and they sell 100 copies of it. So Sony made $300 on that game, <laughs> right? Like literally they made $300 on, on that game. Gross. And I would argue that they make more money by just saying, we don't want this. And bumping well, and every like how game much is it one. costing to host on their servers? I mean, I don't. It can't cost them that much. But are they really making their money back? Even just allowing people to download it for ten well, years well, straight? Yeah, but it's, it's it's a good point. But to me, it's more than that. It's like every game has a has a PlayStation liaison. You need access to the PlayStation Dev Kit and PlayStation um, backend network. Like you deal with people, and they and you have to send your game through QA and all. But it takes people. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just. This is why I'm so confused by 
why Sony would want this. Because to me, I'd say like, just remove that game. Everything gets bumped up one. Now imagine if you multiply that so 50% of the games go away. Mm -hmm. And you have this... And so people are like, that's too subjective. And I'm like, too bad, dude. Like what I would do at Sony is say, we're, we're going to hire 10 people or an odd number would even be better, nine people. And everything that comes, their, their entire job is going to be to curate the PlayStation Network. And it's not going to be based on this like really tight level of quality. It's going to be mm -hmm. based on the loosest level of quality. Like, should this game really be here? Or does this 99 cent game exist solely to farm trick, trophies trick people right or, yeah or farm is trophies. this is this game a loose ip infringement is this game like just do some amount of work it's it's mm -hmm. kind of insane and the way you see how flooded it gets is if you go to exophase or psn profiles and look at the tro as the trophies are scraped yeah you see, and, and i've said this before that the reason that shovelware no longer exists on psn profiles is because of me because i rallied them to start hiding it, to literally subjectively go through and say like, this game isn't a real game. It's not going to be shown here because mm -hmm. you would go and it would just be all this trash and everyone loved the decision. So why wouldn't you take that to the next step? And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe even allowing games, everything on to be on there, but it, it can only be searched for or something like that. Because I just think that, I don't know, discoverability is a big problem and we're worried about layoffs and the, and the workability of games and the survivability of games while well, the middle ground yeah. is disappearing. I mean, and it seemed like it was coming back, but it's really not. It's, it's companies... Dude, Sony spends three, $400 million on a game. And they're giving it a little... Now, obviously, it's got all this, you know, je ne sais quoi, and it's going to sell a lot of copies, but it's got this little block on the, on the PlayStation library and chronology, right? And the game's published next to fucking... Yeah. Super Rub-A-Dub or something. It's like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I think about that too, like Carnival Games and Super Rub-A-Dub, just how perfectly timed that was mm -hmm. to make way more money than it ever deserved to but um actually qh freddy writes in and he says tom in broken silicon 242 you mentioned the layoffs microsoft did across its gaming divisions well i do agree some of these could be merger related just getting rid of the people behind the scenes that now would be duplicate jobs that microsoft like if there's like a server do they need their own server microsoft would probably host it is what i thought does i also think gaming in general isn't a sharp downturn compared to a year or two ago several of my friends who are developers are looking to go into other industries where they have better job security because the almost continuous rounds of layoffs over the last few months is a big toll on everyone's mental health. I think the combination of people tightening their spending and the climbing interest rates is causing VC money to dry up a bit and is keeping gaming grown down for the time being. But, but yes, I, I have a couple, well, more than a couple actually developers I talk to, like just like when I consult for like a video, like is this actually, would this graphics card actually be able to do this thing that this person's claiming future games will be able to do stuff like that? And I do hear a lot of anxiety in game development right now. And I'm wondering what you think about QH Freddy's question. Like, because it was a lot. It was like, at least it was around 2,000 people, right? Were laid off at Microsoft uh, at, at their game studios. Like, how much of this do you think is them doing what you kind of expect to happen at the end of a merger, which is like, you know, maybe 10% of the people leave? And how much of this is actually, and I would, I would say this, it would have to turn into this, is the start of something else going on here? Like yeah. in some sort of downturn. I think the way I posit this is to think that because there's this 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 idea, and you see it sometimes floated around that like, oh, these you know a lot of these people don't have companies lay people off because that they they miss the target that, that there's not enough talent, mm. the product isn't good. That sometimes happens, but this specific downturn and the layoffs are all tied towards bad forecasting, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. There was this idea that the growth during COVID would 
exist forever or that if you had yeah. a line going up, you had to boost the line subsequent to that major boost and make the line go up even more. And I just feel like that's so asinine. Like, I, I can't believe companies thought that when people were no longer literally trapped in their houses, that they would <laughs> want to play video games that the way they did. It, it didn't mean that video games were going to go away. It's just to say, like, you captured them. Don't you understand that you captured a market? And the subscription services didn't understand this either. Like the, the TV mm. and movie subscription services didn't understand this either. It's like, why, why did I know that that was going to happen and you didn't? This is why Sony is no longer going to report PS Plus numbers and why Game Pass numbers are not even reported at all. It's been more than two years since Microsoft says anything about Game Pass subscribers because the numbers are not good. They're probably going down because they didn't, they were so bullish and stupid for the, for the short-term gain of bragging and making those kinds of bets. And because video games are four or five or even six-year bets now, you're going to start seeing the outcome of those things. So I think some of the Activision layoffs and Microsoft layoffs are certainly due to the merger, and that, that does happen. But I don't really buy that explanation because what, what are the redundancies at High Moon Studio? What are the redundancies at Raven? Mm. What are the redundancies at Treyarch? Like it, there, there should be no redundancies at your studios. The redundancies should be on the publishing side. Like mm. you don't need two heads of QA maybe, or you don't need this or you don't right. need that, but you certainly need your producers. You certainly need your community managers. You certainly at the individual teams. So when they started digging into all of the teams, it was clear the, the Microsoft thing is so complicated because the Activision deals took so long, I think, and they overpaid so drastically for it that I think mm. that their reality materially changed in, in the time, in the two years it took to, to close the deal. Like, That's something I always yeah. wondered too. Like when I believe when the deal was started, we were at like the peak of the market, right? Like 2021 right. or something. Right. Where, That's or like, why Activision has been. And so think about what they agreed to pay per share. Right. I, and, I, and I heard several examples of mergers falling apart in 2023 and 2022 because they had started the deal in 2020 or 2021 and they said, this company's shares are not worth half of what we agreed to buy them for. And then they would find some way to get out of the deal because of it. And I'm, I, I was always wondering if something like that would happen with that deal. Obviously, it hasn't, though. Well, based on the profit that they were... So, and this is a very linear and, and kind of simplistic way of looking at finance, but based on the amount they paid versus the amount Activision makes in profit, it will take them 35 years to make that money back just on the, mm. the, the amount they sold without any sort of fluctuations, right? Because, which is a ridiculous proposition. Like, it, it, it didn't really make any sense at the time. And you're right, they, they pegged in that price at that moment. And when you look back at it, you understand why Activision was so eager to get the deal done and why they even extended because they could have just said mm -hmm. there was a point where they were like, you know, because there was a kill fee of $3 billion. So they could have at one point because the deal went on, the FTC wasn't deciding things where they could have been like, we're out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to stay independent and we'll take the $3 billion in cash. And they let them go on that because they're like, we're going to get all of this money for basically call of duty. And yeah. I, I understand that part of this and it's unfair to Microsoft is that the layoffs probably had to happen and they were probably waiting so that Microsoft had to do it and they, they uh -oh. could just get, you know, they could just be like, well, we don't have to deal with any of this. I mean, ultimately we'll just get this thing over the finish line. And, right. we're out. and you could see the incentive too, where like people know each other. They've been working together for 20 years and they're like, dude, just let me get the payoff. And then they can do, like, even people who think they might be laid off would want to wait until the deal goes through. Cause it might benefit them financially. Right. Yeah. There's probably a bunch of vested people there. Hands. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. So I just, 
So that, I just look at these, the, the finance of that deal is so interesting just because I think Microsoft probably balanced it thinking this was going to get done quickly. And there's this, this intractability in gaming where people don't understand that people's minds change or that situations change. And I just think that mm. in between the deal being brokered and then the deal closing, Microsoft's reality changed in mm. terms of it's a much bigger company than it was two years ago. But Xbox is now encumbered by this massive publishing and development arm where they own all of these studios and brands or whatever. Well, and, and that's probably what they told themselves, though, right. right? It's like, worst case scenario, we own Call of Duty. How can this lose us money? Xbox could go out of business tomorrow. We could kill Xbox. We still own these studios that are going to make us a ton of money. I think that's what they told themselves. Yeah, probably. And I think, I don't know, man. But I, so back to like what you were asking, I guess, more more broadly about the downturn in gaming, I just think there's a confluence of things happening. It's readjusting back down towards where it should be, or we're shedding the more casual people that were playing games, mm. which was to be expected. The forecasting forecasted that that wasn't going to happen and growth would be, would be built upon the new benchmark, which was wrong. And yeah. that has a major consequence. But I think there's other problems too. He, and he said it, and this is very good stuff. Interest rates are mega high. Mm -hmm. Right. And though they're probably going to come down, I think that's a political move to help Joe Biden. Frankly, I think interest rates need to go keep going up, in my opinion. Um, that makes the M&A environment basically impossible or preclusive unless you have cash. Well, you it, can't just throw money around. I right. mean, it's so funny to think about and think about it from the European perspective. I mean, I, I think we got to like 3% interest rates or something in the US. I, I mean, in Europe, there were some countries with negative interest rates. I don't understand how, and I'm sure this is what happened to a large, a large extent. This is what caused a lot of the current English housing crisis is once you get interest rates that low, everyone with the money is going to borrow more money mm -hmm. because wh why wouldn't you? you be a fucking idiot not to? That's exactly and right. And so they're just yeah. going to fund everything. They're going to make every game. There's going to be 10 streaming services. Now, I'm not even talking about for gaming, although probably for gaming, but for like TV shows, there's going to be a hundred new studios. There's going to be, and then once the money goes away, half of these things are just going to go, the half of these things are going to go away. And I, I, yeah, I think that's probably a lot of what we're looking at too. In addition to just like, I, I wonder, I, I wonder what you think about this. I'm actually kind of almost switching subjects here, but like when I think something that a lot of these console manufacturers are going to start to discover, maybe Microsoft, because there's, there's this assumption by like Disney plus, well, if we own Marvel and star Wars and who knows, we'll just buy something else too. Uh, well, they have to subscribe to Disney Plus because they have to watch Marvel. And I think I'll, I've been making this argument with my friends, and it's the same argument I would make to someone who tries to buy up all the game studios, which isn't really all of them. It's like a third of them or a fourth of them, not even that, is people will go, I don't need to watch the new Iron Man TV show that is a crossover with <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy or something Truly. absurd. I'll just watch Stranger Things. You know, like, and it's like, like people, I think there's the same argument that's going to be made with games here, which is like, sure, you have this one series. Sure, I would probably buy it if I had that console or service or something, but there is not a shortage of things to play here. So I'm fine. You know, I, maybe I'll just play an Uncharted instead of a, this over there. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of companies, both in gaming, streaming, everything really right now in having to do with entertainment is going to start to realize that like we've never had more stuff to occupy our time. 
So if you take half of it away, I'll play the other half. Right. Yeah, it's it's a great point. I also think it goes even deeper, which is that the models, like we we you and I both know that the model of all subscription services is to, to is to lose to get to the to the to this point where you start making money, like where your costs don't necessarily. So the idea for people out there that don't think about it, it's like subscription services. The idea is that though you have to add to the subscription service, at some point that becomes a flat sunk cost that like you know will cost X amount to deliver this content. And once you can get above that barrier, the profit should be very, very high. So mm-hmm. people try to say like, we need to meet 90 million subscribers. Once we get over that number, we're going to make an enormous amount of money because that will just cover our nut to produce. And then every person we get above that. But when you have all of this choice, it creates churn. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that people don't want HBO. It's that they want it for two months mm-hmm. and they'll take it in May and they'll take it in December. And it spoofs all of their numbers and fucks all their metrics up. They have no idea how to make predictions based on them because people are just coming in and com- coming and going. That's why I think on, on our Patreon, on Last Stand or whatever, our core offering is $5 specifically because I want it to be so low that people mm. are like, it doesn't really matter. Like if I'm not going to use it, like it's five bucks, it's not 18 or 21.99 or something like that. Like some of these services are going to be or are. And so I think that you're totally right about this, about risk for literally not cheap money, but risk-free money. I mean, if you have a corporation and you borrow the money through the corporation at a negative interest rate, and then you lose, it doesn't really matter to you, you know? And like, so I just, I look at that and I think you're right. It's the competition and the choice, but it's also that people just bounce around and are not solid customers. And then you think about it through this lens, which is wouldn't H, well, Disney's a great example. Wouldn't Disney make more money from you with you going to the theater three times a year than you having Probably, Disney yeah. Plus for two months? And then they would have to make maybe one-tenth of the content? Like, that's the reality we're getting in, which kind of crosses, crosses with what uh, your listener was writing in about, about people kind of leaving the industry and stuff, is that I just think it's this transience that is creating a lot of inconsistency and problems, but that's the nature of competing technologies. So you're absolutely right. Well, and think of how hard it was for HBO to be HBO. Like only HBO can even claim, like we have, you know, True Detective and The Last of Us and Game of Thrones and White Lotus. And I mean, th- like that's truly a, cr- like it's basically when you go to like, what is it, the uh, Emmys or something for TV shows, it's just like, it might as well just be the HBO award shows because they do make the best shows for the most part. They're good shows on all streaming services, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, I like the boys. I like, you know, the crown, but I got to admit, like only one of them has. Like, think of how hard it was for them to even get to that status. Not everyone can be HBO, too. And, and I think they think if you just money in, money out. No, it it was probably really hard to build game studios or the perfect, you know, like bed for the TV shows to have that sort of freedom. And it's almost like a pedigree that you, it'd be very hard for any company to, to replicate. And I think a lot of people just thought we'll just all become everything at once. And, uh, I, I'm wondering, let me, let me throw in this reader mail here. Yeah, Multi Natty yeah. writes in and he says, hi, Tom and Colin. It has been years since Colin was on broken Silicon. I'm just wondering on how two of you think about the value proposition of game subscription models like game pass, PlayStation plus, and others have evolved throughout the years. Xbox leaks, uh, slides from six months ago 
indicated that Game Pass's difficulties making money below a certain threshold of subscribers. I believe that threshold was like 40 or 50 million. Uh, I wonder if other gamer subscription services are facing the same problem. For me, it seems dumb of Xbox to put higher... Highly anticipated AAA games like Starfield that could have been sold to millions of people for $70 on Game Pass from day one. If a majority of the consumers are willing to pay full price for a game, it seems so weird to me that companies want to convert that to subscription revenue. Well, I agree it does. And I also wanted to use this as an opportunity to go, uh, from my perspective, Game Pass is actually doing worse than I would have expected. I, I actually didn't really... Honestly, I don't think I knew five years ago if it would succeed or not. I, I was like, if it does, I think it's going to cause a race to the bottom. If it doesn't, I think a lot of studios are going to get hurt. But at the end of the day, I wasn't actually sure if it would take off. I really didn't know because I found myself maybe getting it for a dollar for that month they would do every like 10 seconds. They give you a month for one dollar. for and Yeah, they, you know, they, they stopped doing them. that because I can't imagine how many people manipulated that you always see that people someone's like oh, oh me and my friends would say let's play state of decay 2 for it's a co-op game that we will beat in one week right and then we will be done we i would have probably paid 15 20 dollars yeah it's it, very you know? strange it's very strange yeah. and you know so i i don't know how i feel about what i would have expected about them succeeding but what i will say is back then even i remember going i don't really want any of these expensive services though because i still tend to buy a game and then just play it for a year on and off and i don't want to have to find that it wasn't there anymore you know i and then i added it up and i'm like i think i'll actually pay a little less just buying a game every couple months or something basically um but i'm wondering what you think about that but then also i don't really pay that much attention to it would i i from what i'm seeing on there though just glancing around i kind of doubt playstation plus premiums succeeding either. I, I don't think this is me dunking on Game Pass and going, I think I, I kind of doubt the higher tiers of PlayStation Plus are working out too. I could be wrong. Though. I don't know if you've seen any reporting. Yeah, they, numbers. I, it, there is actually stuff in the Insomniac League indicating that PlayStation Plus extra, like the game catalog is is outperforming their internal game war game metrics about how it would go. Mm-hmm. And that people at premium don't interact with the premium level tier. They actually interact with the extra level tier anyway. So like they're just at that tier, but don't even use any of it. So mm. like the uh, classic games and all the rest, but that's deep, that's, in the, that's deep in the insomniac leak, but specific numbers we don't know. And they're not going to report them anymore. So, um, but I would, I would imagine that PlayStation plus PlayStation Plus's game catalog is by orders of magnitude cheaper than game pass because mm-hmm. of the very nature of the games that they have on there. Just not having your day and date games, which is why I, I always knew the economics of Game Pass were broken. And I used to get, I, I've said it for years, and I, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting my flowers these last few days as everything's kind of unraveling because I have consistently been saying, like, the money doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Oh, me too. Sense. I've been saying yeah. that as well. And well, let me, you tell me, from my perspective, when I saw that Xbox leak, I was like, oh, Game Pass is doing worse than I thought it was. Yeah. And I didn't it, think it was doing well. I thought so too. We know from the FTC, ABK stuff that Microsoft's projections of growth of Game Pass are so off that it puts the entire notion of if they can really do it in jeopardy. Like they had numbers like in 2027, 2028 that were like, you're not 80 million. It's like, never gonna get there. you have to be out of your fucking mind, you know, to think that you're going to get, you're going to have people paying that amount of money. But I think the, the problem goes into the viability of it and how it, Game Pass is like is kind of like a has a suicide vest on in some sense because mm-hmm. it 
very similar to how mobile gaming had a deleterious effect on console gaming with the race to the bottom. That term really comes in tech from that specific mm-hmm. market. And it was like, oh, f- you'll remember when, when iPhone came out, for instance, games were $20, $15, yeah. $10, Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. Before you knew it, couldn't charge for games anymore on on iOS. That bled over, along with like passes for microtrans microtransactions and all the rest. All migrated to console gaming. So like we got splash damage from that, and we still deal with it to this day. Game Pass taught an entire group of, and it's not their fault, but it's taught an entire group of enthusiast gamers to never pay for games. And then Microsoft would say oh, we're making money on Game Pass. And I'd be like, that's simply not possible. Like, maybe it's possible if you don't include any of your game development costs, which is probably how you're doing your math to get around that Mm. in the public. But if you're not selling your games, then you have to include the cost of developing the games, not just the licensing costs of third parties and lost sales from a la carte sales. They've always been disingenuous about it. That's why this is all unraveling now and why they need to sell their games. Mm -hmm. Uh, third party is because there's just not enough money in a stagnant game pass environment especially where they're telling their audience basically not to buy their console like you don't need a console you don't need it's like okay so no one's gonna buy it and now no one's buying it so no and every person who owns an xbox is a captive game pass subscriber i think the (laughs) people didn't take this seriously and thought it was a fanboyish observation but when jim ryan gave his deposition for the ftc he said something interesting which was they were asked about game. He was asked about Game Pass, and he said something like, "As I understand it, they're losing a lot of money on it." And people laughed, and, and uh, at me observing that, I'd be like, "How would he know?" And it's like, don't you think he talks oh. to like Strauss Zelnick or Eves Gilmaw or all these if guys? I, who if I may jump in too, yeah, like I, I won't say who or when or which leaks of mine, but I'll just let everyone know. Some of my best AMD sources are people at NVIDIA. Some of my best NVIDIA sources are people at Intel. These people have entire groups in their company that are trying to figure out what the competition's working on. And they're also usually, they all went to the same college and like they're friends, they know each other. Like things I hear about, like PlayStation and Xbox, it's like, oh, or Apple. It's like one of my friends was an intern at Apple. You know, now she's over here and doing that. You know, like that's the type of thing I hear all the time. And so if you don't think they have a good idea, like, and if you don't think NVIDIA and AMD have a really good idea of what their next graphics cards are going to be, they do. They they know more than, I, I, I'm almost certainly, they'll know more than, than me most of the time because they have people being paid to know like what the competition is going to do in a year. And we also just have two. I was saying it's at some point it was four. I'm trying to think of who the fourth person was, but Strauss Zelnick was one and Wilson, the CEO of EA was another. Oh, and it was uh, Bobby Kotick on the <laughs> Bobby Kotick on the stand. Mm. It was asked was basically said like we why don't you put your games on Game Pass and he's like well we can't make any money on that and they're like why are you selling the company to them to do it I mean that was another that was another go look it up for anyone that wants to see it and it's like it's everyone knows everyone knew but for some reason mm-hmm. they sold this this false bill of sale on this now I will say this you can't blame Microsoft for trying this mm. I don't I think it's actually if you go back to the embryo of Game Pass when this was like deployed internally 2017 2018 I'd be like, this might be a pretty good idea because we're losing with Xbox One 
and subscriptions seem to be a big thing. People like them. Why wouldn't we just make ma- take massive losses and try to build mm-hmm. this thing into this huge, it's a great idea actually, but it just didn't work. And I think a major reason it didn't work and people take umbrage with this, but, and I wonder how you feel about this is that I fundamentally think Microsoft isn't a creative company and it's not an insult. They're just not a creative company. Sony is a creative company. More than half of Sony's income comes from the, from the arts, from games, mm. from movies, from music, from TV, you know, and, and they are, a, and they are, a, um, a fabricator of fine electronics for many decades. So there's a, there's a, they're not a services company and mm. you need a creative outlook to make this work. Like it's not that game pass can't work necessarily. It's that Microsoft was the worst company to like mm. give, to let, you know, allocate all these resources and look what they're doing. A really good example of this, and, and this comes like off as hater energy probably to some people, but like the Halo TV show. I don't watch it, but Chris Ragon, my co-host on Sacred Symbols, massive Halo fan. And he's like, and, and we talk and it's like, how can they let this happen to that mm. show? And then you look at The Last of Us on HBO, right? And yeah. it's like, there's just a difference with the way it became like a phenomenon. Like all my family members were talking about it. Like, Oh, this is that game you mentioned. Oh, it's good. And I'm like, Oh, I wasn't lying before, but yes, it is. So I don't know if that, like, I just think it's not that Microsoft, Microsoft's huge. Microsoft is the biggest company in human history and and they make lots of money and they, and I use their services. I'm on windows right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a, I have a Microsoft laptop that I love. I think it's awesome. Um, I'm not a hater of them at all. I think they do great things. I just don't think they're great at gaming. And so it's kind of a bummer because the the test case of if this could work or not actually was probably in the wrong mm. hands. Like it, you would want a Nintendo or a Sony or someone else to maybe have been the pursuer of that model, but they always knew. And you got to give it up to Sony that they kind of stuck. They stuck with it. Like that must have been a very intimidating thing. Yeah. And it wasn't like Microsoft wasn't poking at them. What did the, what's the first thing they did when MLB The Show came to Xbox because the MLB forced them to put it on Xbox? They put it on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Like they announced yeah. it the day it happened. They were like, this game's going on Game Pass to fuck Sony, right? And so it's not like they, they weren't playing around in, in, the, in the mud either. I just think, I don't know. I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of excuse making for that brand too. And I think that a lot of it, where does the buck stop? How does Phil Spencer still have a job if this is the way things are really happening? If this is actually how it's going. I mean, you know, I would actually kind of sidestep like the creative company thing and just point out, well, I don't know exactly what's going on. But what I do know is you see Nintendo, which is easy to make fun of for like making the same games over and over. But at the end of the day, Animal Crossing comes out. It's great. It is a fantastic game. It you know, sells 30 million copies. A new Zelda just came out, higher reviews than the previous one. Or like, it's like one, it's like one after another. They do just keep doing it. And you see Sony stumble sometimes, but for the most part, you know, they're releasing these games that just do great, get great reviews. Much more consistent, I would say, than like the PS4 generation, actually, in terms of how good the games. Not to say that they're, you know, we're good they're a deeply, there, but- deeply creative company. Ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of eBay postings and CD websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced Microsoft software? Well, you don't have to do that. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable 
prices. And, you know, they've been a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and the entire team here for years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to dozens of me and Dan's family members and friends for years now. And they've also been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. You know? So I don't know what Microsoft's doing with management, though, too. Like, I don't know... I just don't understand from Microsoft, like, where are the games? Where are the games? And why are none of your studios... And, and you know, the people I've talked to that, like, at, like, was it 243? Like, 343. 343. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the things that I've heard are, like, not good. <laughs> like, they don't talk like things are going well there. And, and I don't know what it is. But there... I. For the Game Pass thing specifically, I just think that there's this, you know, crazy suggestion. You have Microsoft come in, buy up all these studios, and tell them we have all this money and we're going to pay you more now. I don't think it, I have to be careful how I say this because I'm not saying this like pro corporate thing. I'm like, but I don't think that made anyone work any harder. And so if they're not working harder, and I've, I've talked to a lot of devs who actually told me this directly, they got bought by Microsoft and they were like, oh, well, crunch is over. Now it's time to just take it down easy street, which to a certain extent is good. I'm not saying crunch is good, I'm, but it's like, but then there was never someone there that came in and said, what's the goal? It's like they took more money, they took it a little easier, and then there was no North Star for what their next thing is. And there was no one there kind of like making it happen. Like we can get mad at, and I do like it's Sony killing Zipper. Or, you know, probably, right? It sounds like Ben soon, which is crazy to be able to I would imagine, uh, there's, there's a rumor that one studio will get closed and you have to imagine they're on the, the short list. Which I think that closing from at least, I don't know, I don't know anyone at Ben personally, but it, to me, it sounds like that's a relationship Sony kind of screwed up themselves. Or it was much, very much so on the Sony side for some of that. But at the end of the day, they do make sure things come out. They do make sure, like there's this interview with Insomniac from I think over a decade ago where, and I always go back to this when I think about what must be going on, like, it was after, God, what was it? I think it was after Spyro, uh, Insomniac was working on this, like, African warrior princess game or something. Like, it was a platformer, she had a spear, they have early yeah, builds. Girl with the girl, they call it Girl with the Spear or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and they said, this should be our next game, and Sony said, if you're sure, make it, but we're just telling you, we don't know if this is it, but if you're so sure, hey, Spyro was great, we believe in you, and they didn't hate them, they didn't tell them they couldn't make it, but they gave them good advice, and then they made Ratchet and Clank, and I just imagine these this isn't happening at Microsoft. It can't be. Like, There's not this like coaching, mentor, mentee, equal partners. We think this should be that. Why don't you try that, and we'll fund it if it's going well. It just seems to be, here's a ton of money, make whatever you want. And then when something doesn't happen, Microsoft just gets mad and fires people without really telling them this was serious ahead of time. It's kind of what that's, does that make sense? I feel like yeah. I'm rambling. That's no, the no, vibe it makes I sense. I, I think that the firing though needs to go up. Like when, 
it's crazy to me that Microsoft acquired Activision and didn't take much of its leadership mm. and put and install them in Xbox. I mean, that's that's something I would right. Is that a vote of confidence? Usually, you buy a company for the people. Like you'd want to move them into your your company because you want them making decisions for you too. Right, and this is what this is the exact reason why I think Sony's purchase of Bungie was so ill-timed and probably a really bad idea because they're losing all of the people, like so many people are leaving or are mm. out and they've laid people off and now they're going to maybe take over the board and stuff. And it's like, this defeats the entire purpose. We didn't need Bungie. We needed the people at Bungie. And I, I look at, I look at uh, Activision the same way. Like I had a very controversial take that I was like, I wouldn't have fired Bobby Kotick or let him go. I mean, I know that he's controversial, but I would have figured out a way to keep him in the fold. He bought Activision for $500,000 <laughs> and then just sold it to you for $70 billion. So I may want to keep that guy around and figure out yeah. how the fuck that might have happened and what kind of business acumen someone like that has or the guy who shepherded Call of Duty, the biggest video game IP of all time. It's just, it's crazy to me. Like they don't even have that insight to be like, we should we should, it's like, oh no, we want, you know, access to King. And it's like, dude, you have this great work, these, this know-how that can help you. And then all these guys get promoted. It's like, what? You know, like, no, I don't know these people personally, but like a Matt Booty, it's like, dude, what have you been doing? You know, like yeah. Scott Rohde, who's basically like your, your kind of ancillary on PlayStation side is, is lapping you, lapping and lapping and lapping. You know, and you get promoted into this space. It's like crazy to me. And then the, I don't know. It's it's just it's so interesting to me. Like the people is what you would really want to. I know they want the IP. I know they want the access and all that. But the people are vital. And I don't think those are the creative people that help run these. That's why I just think you were asking, like, why don't these things happen? Why didn't that that help happen behind the scenes in this kind of laissez-faire give you enough rope to hang yourself with? And it's like, because I don't think. Right. That's a better. I kind of sounded a little mean. Give. I feel like Microsoft is giving them enough rope to hang themselves. And you could say it's their fault for hanging themselves. But it's like, but why are you giving them all the rope for it, though? Like, that's not helping them, you know? Right. And it's a waste of time and it's a waste of resources. This is this goes into. A great example of their mismanagement, although no one really wants to report on it or talk about it, is what happened with um, the initiative in Santa Monica, which was mm. the, the, their so-called quadruple A studio that they put there specifically to poach. I forgot entirely about that. Yeah, and they still exist in some like skeletal way. And I, I actually, it's funny, Drew Murray, who's at Insomniac, who he was the co-director of Resistance and Sunset Overdrive, I went to lunch with him and told him, I was like, you, did you hear that there's this new studio down the street, like a Microsoft studio? And he ended up going and working there based on me telling him about it and he like looked mm. into it and then he left and went back to Insomniac. Um, that's a great example of what is what are you doing? Like you you poached all of these people, you put this here specifically so you can have access mm -hmm. to Santa Monica Studio, Naughty Dog, all of these different teams, and you did and Insomniac and you and you you took all of these, but then you they still haven't put out anything and people are yeah. and people aren't like confounded by that. Like what? How did that and now well, like yeah. they're, they're basically the producers of the perfect dark game that's being made outside of the team. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? It's so, and I think that that experience actually showed them that they cannot build a team from the ground up pretty much so that they got to go out and buy things if they want to. And I understand if you have game pass, you need content for it. So you got to go get it. But I just mm -hmm. think it's an unsustainable model. It's funny too, for the listeners, um, 
uh, like uh, an analogy I would make to everything you're talking about is it's, uh, and I know this is where people will call me an Intel hater, but this is reminding me just so much of the stuff I hear about Intel Arc, which I don't know if you, like, you know, there's NVIDIA, everyone's heard of them. There's AMD graphics cards. I think most people have heard of them, especially because they make consoles now. Um, but, you know, Intel tried to make graphics cards uh, a couple of years ago. Really, it was supposed to be three or four years ago, but the thing came out one or two years late. The person who is the chief architect's been fired. Most of their marketing people fired, engineers fired. Like, and there's a certain thing where, like, the stories you're describing sound so similar to what happened at Intel, where they're like, well, we have all the money. We will build a team that will make graphics cards. And because we have all the money, we'll just hire their engineers and it will work. And it just didn't. There's, there's definitely some je ne sais quoi to some companies and their culture that facilitate them doing certain things. And I think there's some companies that think, well, because we have the money, we can pay to make this go away. <laughs> and like, if we give them all the money, they'll make the studio. And if we just hire all the people and throw them in the same room and lock the door, when we open it, there will be a game inside. Mm-hmm. But clearly, that's not how this works, right? It, like, it's someone someday, you know, especially if like something happens officially to Game Pass, like going away or something with Xbox, someone in 10 years will write a book about how this all went down and like why it didn't succeed. And it will be a valuable book for anyone trying to run a business just to learn lessons from, you know, but until then, I think that, I think what we're figuring out is there's just a confluence of factors that is not happening at some companies to do some things. You know, I know that sounds so vague, but I don't know how else to put it. Well, but, um, it, but it's, isn't it evident? It's like, you're right. It's not a genetic thing. It's just a know-how thing. Like I think Sony succeeded with PlayStation in some sense because it wasn't their first creative endeavor, and they were able to, mm, like, they maybe, bought their yeah. they bought their music label. You know, their music and television slash movie labels were both external. They bought them. They didn't start them. So it's true that they got into those in the same way. But that was in the '70s and in the '80s, and they learned and they built. And I think by the time they got the PlayStation, I think maybe they had understood. In fact, if you listen to people like Ken Kudaragi and these guys, they, they understand like it's content, content, content. Like you need games. And Jaffe always talks about this when we talk like Sony published, dude, it's something crazy, like 200 PlayStation 1 games, you know, like mm-hmm. something insane. And, and I know it's that many. Like just, and they didn't make them all. They were just going and buying them. Like they right. didn't make, like, it's funny, Spyro and Crash are really not even Sony published games. They're just a kind of affiliated yeah. with them. And the IP obviously went with Activision later on from Vivendi and all that kind of shit. But I just look at it and I just think the best thing for video games is to buy one game at a time and any Mm. other now it's up to the market, whether they do that or not, but any other model gives us mass disruption. And right now we see the, the fruits of that, whether it's games as a service, which I think are necessary. And I think making bets on them are smart, just not betting everything on them and smaller games and indie games and all the rest. But when I hear people complaining about $70 games, I kind of feel like we are doomed in some sense because I'm like, not only are games going to go up in price at some point, the $10 increase has been subsumed by inflation, nonetheless, the cost of the game. But are we really going to melt down about this? Do you really believe that it's a lot of money? Like I personally, and I say this from a blessed position, no doubt, but I was spending 60 and $80 on SNES games and N64 games mm. in the 90s. I remember Pokemon Stadium wasn't cheap. You had to get not only the cartridge, but all of the, the thing that put the other cartridge in it. I mean, and there were plenty of N64 games that were really expensive, yeah. too. And that actually. was based on, on chipsets and, the, and kind of the, the limited nature of the prints. 
Naughty Dog would talk about that when they did Rings of Power on Genesis. They were only allowed to make 200,000 copies. So you kind of maximize the amount of money you can make on them because you don't have another run. And, and I get all of that, but I look at that and I'm like, I look at a game like Grand Theft Auto 6 as, as an example. And I believe that that will be a $70 game. I'm not saying anything else, but if that game was $100, would you really balk at it? I would you re- I, I, to me, I would be like, or, or, you know, Fallout 5 right. or to me, like, even Elden Ring could have probably been at least 80. Right. To me, I look at it and I say, guys, and this is something, God, who said it? It was, I think it was Strauss Zelnick, Take Two's CEO, who said something like, there is an unrealistic expectation with the mass audience in gaming of how much value you should be able to derive from a video game. And he was using movies on per hour spent. He's like, so you'll go see Oppenheimer in IMAX for $20 mm-hmm. and it's three and a half hours long. And then we ask you to buy, you know, Grand Theft Auto six for, and he wasn't using these exact ex- examples. Cause I don't think he wants to scare anyone, but it's like, so they ask you to buy Grand Theft Auto six for a hundred dollars and you're like, freak the fuck out. It doesn't make, it that actually doesn't make any sense. Like it literally mm-hmm. makes no sense why we think that game should be so cheap when you compare it to the value of other, you know, at nights out on the town to the movie, to the theater, or mm. even just renting a, a film and watching it for a few hours. I rented what did I rent the other night? Jaws on on Amazon Prime for four dollars, and I watched it for two hours. Mm-hmm. Now multiply that out by God of War Ragnarok. I, I just don't understand what people don't get. You know, so I I think the the price thing is going to come to a head at some point because oh I think it's going to happen next generation for sure. Yeah, I think so too. I think the stretch from fifty to sixty was long during the disc era, and then sixty to seventy was really long. And I think people just you either you either understand that this costs money or you don't. And I get it. And I know it's not for everyone, but I am not saying it as a shill of the industry. I'm saying it as out of necessity for the kinds of games we want. We need to be willing to pay for them because not I, I every think game, if, I'm sorry. I ahead. think if Sony was shrewd, they would try to off assuming it's Sony where that would do this or because I, I don't know that Xbox just seems scared to charge more for a game or something like, and it would probably be someone like Nintendo or Sony that would try it first. I think, They'd be shrewd to offer a consolation prize. Like this game, I don't know what it would be, but like I'm trying to think of like another, like let's say there's like a Bloodborne 2 that would be exclusive. And they're like, it's bigger than the other one. That one you could already play for hundreds of hours. Like this is going to be $80. But in the meantime, here, you know, we've got a new Sly Cooper. It's going to be 40 mm-hmm. because it cost us a fourth as much to make. Right. That's what's happening and with Helldivers gonna- right now. Helldivers is 40 bucks, you know? Um, right. And I think they need to have that at launch and make a big deal about right. it. Like, here's your $80. Mm-hmm. Here's your $60. Here's your $40 tier. Guess what? You don't need to buy a season pass. You just get all of the content we're going to be making for two years for $80. And we're not going to just hope you, like, I think EA was trying to do with Battlefield for a while, like, accidentally buy the premium $80 edition thinking you needed it. And we'll give you an extra hat to wear during yeah. World War Three and global <laughs> climate change wars. Dude, it's so funny like, you say that because Helldivers is doing that in some sense at the $40 price point, which is not unprecedented for Sony. But what is no. interesting is that they already announced that all updates will be free. Um, mm. So that like they're going to add new biomes, new characters, new weapons, new mechs, new whatever, and it's all free. So and I think that that is the future of some sort of mid-tier game. And I don't think Sony personally would want to go any lower than that, not because games couldn't be worth less than that. They should be worth less than that, but because they can't make any money in those spaces. But mm-hmm. I think others can. Like you see, uh, there was some consternation because um, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, that Metroidvania 2.5D game that came out okay. a few weeks ago. I actually platinumed it. It was really fun. But 
there was a report that Ubisoft sold 300,000 copies of that and that they were disappointed. And I'm like, dude, if you can sell 300,000 copies of that then there's, and you're disappointed in that, there's something that's fucking deeply messed up with what did you think was going to happen? 300,000 copies of a Metroidvania is awesome. So Compressor Earthblocks writes in and he says, yeah. Hogwarts Legacy was one of the highest grossing revenue and selling games of 2023. It's also a game that isn't live service or loaded with microtransactions. Do you think this will signal to developers that people want a shift towards a more traditional game? Or do you think this did as well as it did because it's just Harry Potter and that is the only conclusion they'll make? Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, no, I don't think it's going to show that. There, there's a GDC poll that was posted a, a you know, GDC is interesting because they, that's the game developer conference. They pull their users or their, their, their membership and 95% of them are working on a live service game right now in some mm. sense, which is nuts. And WB is the publisher of Harry Potter and they have already announced that there's going to be a live element to all of their games. And if they're, of course, the publisher of Suicide Squad. So I think that you're going to get another Hogwarts Legacy. You're also going to get the, the Quidditch spinoff. And those are going to do really well. But I think generally speaking, people want these perpetual market games. And mm -hmm. it sucks. And it's being run by people that I think don't quite understand the industry. But they're going to need to take a few more L's, I think, before they understand what they've, what they've done. I mean, look at Rocksteady and, and Suicide Squad. It's just, um, yeah, it's not good. So, Well, in Elden Ring, I would say it was another example. You know, I looked up the budget for that game and it was, I don't remember, maybe a couple like one, 200 million, and it sold 20 million, 30 million copies. And then you compare it to another game that has like a $600 million budget that sold half as many. And I'm like, but don't you guys, don't you guys see over here? Like <laughs> you just have to spend this much with this level of quality and they'll buy it. You don't need to charge them anything. I, I don't think it's just Harry Potter. I think there's been multiple examples. Um, I mean, even you could argue God of War in the past couple, in the past five years of like, Something's going on here where the traditional game is selling so well, though. Yeah, it's great. It's it's actually kind of nice to see that there still is a market for it, even with kind of the more modest sales. I thought Final Fantasy 16 sales were pretty good at three or four million, but it's just cool to see that people are still willing to buy a game four, five, six, seven million for a Resident Evil game, Dead Space remake. Obviously, anything Nintendo puts out will sell five to ten million copies or more. So people are willing to. There's there's a there's a there's an audience willing to brandish their wallets out there still, but they're the ones keeping things afloat. And I don't know that there's gotta be a, there's a, and I think you understand this. There's a ground that they have to discover between games that are too expensive and will be too much to sell and games that are cheap to make in which they can make money on, but are too, they don't make enough. I always tell this, to my audience, Sony has no interest in set spending $25 million and making a $10 million profit. They couldn't care mm. less about that because even they, if you could argue percentage wise that was a lot of profit yeah but in total right because it requires a billion it, here and made two billion it's a whole silo of people that needed to make it too, like to do it you need to deploy those resources on hundred million dollar projects that make 50 million dollars on 300 million dollar projects that make 200 million dollars and it's just high risk high reward they they used that's why japan studio went away and everything else they don't want to make a bunch of games where they're just like i don't know man who even 50,000 people bought this game, 500,000 people bought this game. They're like, we want 10 million sellers, 5 million mm -hmm. sellers, 15 million sellers. And they've kind of put themselves in a precarious position because they have to constantly beat themselves. Um, but nonetheless, well, I think that's the space they're in. Maybe we'll come back to it near the end. 
about Game Pass and AAA gaming, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least jump into this subject here. Uh, Manuel Nascimento writes in, Manuel Nascimento writes in, and he says, I'm keen on the analysis from Colin regarding this approach from PlayStation on the PlayStation 5 Pro, let, letting it be easier to make a higher frames per second version of the game with minor cost to the developers, rather than making it so that you need a base PS5 and also a pro version of a game. Cheers to all. And that is something that I think has been coming out more and more as I've been covering the PlayStation 5 Pro leak is, and actually, I won't say which company, but I was talking to someone at one of the, again, big graphics car manufacturers, where I said, you know, it's weird that it seems like the PS5 Pro may still just have 16 gigabytes of RAM. Like, how are they going to have any higher resolutions? The person goes, why do you think that's their goal? Like, if you have the same amount of RAM, the same base idea of image quality then a developer doesn't need to like make new textures higher levels of geometry place more plants around a tree for the pro version all they have to do is check a box and now it goes from 40 frames to 80 or 120 frames or something and that means that the developer doesn't have to spend any time trying to make it work well and up you know so I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that approach to a pro console versus i feel like the previous pros where they were just arguing over who was running 4k better which to the point of a detriment i believe to the xbox one x where there were some games that ran at like 1440p 60 on the ps4 pro and then it went true 4k on the xbox but actually ran at a lower frame rate and people complained yeah i become i used to be not anti, I, I didn't care about frame rates for a really long time. And I was so used to playing things at 30 frames, being a console gamer, especially with PS3 and into PS4, that it wasn't until PS5 and, and kind of the prodding of Chris Reagan, my co-host on Sacred, of being like 60 frames, 60 frames, 60 frames. And I started to play at 60 frames and now I can't go back. I mean, I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. avoiding games that are at 30 frames. Like I'm, I'm not playing Dragon's Dogma 2, uh, maybe on Pro I'll play that or something. And other games, I'm like, I just don't want to play at 30 frames if I can avoid it. It's so it's so yucky. And Chris has really made me believe in this idea that resolution doesn't really matter and that 1080p60 is pretty great for me on stylized. Like I'm playing a brand blue fantasy relink right now, the role-playing game from Psy Games. It's not very good, but I'm I'm playing through I, I'm I'm in the end game. And because of the aesthetic. The 60 frames is so crisp and the game looks great. I don't even know if mm-hmm. the game would look much better at 4K. It's like, I don't know. I have these beautiful TVs. It probably would. But he's really made me believe that, to, to your point, the resolution is almost a distraction from the frame rate. And at some point, you're not, especially on the TVs we use, like it, there has to be some sort of mathematical equation on an 8K TV, for instance, being, it has to be a certain size, right? Like it has to be huge, doesn't it? To well, so I, I actually reject that notion personally because I feel like, and the reason I do is because if you go back 20 years, you'll see people go, I can't tell the difference between 1080p and 720p unless it's a 50 inch screen. And I'm like, liars. <laughs> yes, you could. 720p on a 50, also 40 inches. You can't tell the difference. I mean, I, I think it's all relative though. Like, and I think I've recently seen some studies. I don't remember what the size was, but it was something to the effect of, I don't know, like a 32-inch 8K, more than half of people can tell the difference between that and 4K. But everyone has different eyes, just like everyone can see different depths of color or different people see different depths of color. Different people say frame rates and not even just lights, like not even just like color frame rates, but like you might be able to not detect red to blue as quickly as me, but maybe I, but maybe that person can detect 
on off like the like black and white quicker like shadow changing better than you can change tell color changing so it's really complicated <laughs> our eyes but i i think generally speaking 8k will be where the limits are that doesn't mean there's not extreme diminishing returns getting there and i think it's like once you get to like it's not even 16K. I think it would be something like 10K on a 40-inch screen. They think 99% of people literally can't see it, you know? So, um, I mean, I don't think the... So, I'm basically rejecting that the formula is even anywhere near what people think have claimed it was in the past. And I still think we're a distance away from getting to actually not being able to tell the difference. But I, I think the better... I, actually, the argument I would just make is, well, what are you going to tell more easily? 1440p to 4k or 30 to 60 because 4k is over double the pixels of 1440p and it is harder to tell for sure than just 30 to 60 which is just double right so i would just say where are you going to spend your budget right 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 right. which one's more noticeable to me like i want just 60 frames because we get crazy like you're saying 80 frames 120 frames like i don't even know that's cool but i'm happy with 60 frames and then maximizing what you can with the, like mm-hmm. getting the resolution as high as it can, a 1440 or some sort of interstitial. Again, having beautiful TVs that can play at 4K, I never really do because I always have to still make a sacrifice to get the frame rate I want. And even, and I know, and I know Digital Foundry and others say that we have to start maybe re-embracing 30 frames games. And I'm like, no, I'm not going no. to do that. So if that's no. the reality, I think PS5 <laughs> Pro will ameliorate that completely for PlayStation side. And that I'll be, I'll be, I day one on that console. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. I can't wait to see what they can what they can do with it and then just not even having to worry about that anymore. It's just assume like frame rate's not even a problem anymore. Now it's going to be about maybe the highest resolutions you can get or the speediest, you know, use of the SSD or whatever. I think still too, the bottom option should be 40 frames per second. That VRR thing you're seeing in some games now, like I, I can't, I can't believe that a dev wouldn't at least try to do that instead of, 30 or 60 and if i had to guess what they're going to do with the ps5 versus pro what they'll do is they'll maybe give develop sony will give developers more of a nudge and go it's okay if it's not a perfect 60 but what you'll have probably is a game that on average runs it like i think it's like the ray tracing mode actually of the resident evil 8 basically which was they said it was minimum 45 frames, but it was usually running above 50 most of the time. If you had a variable rate TV, it didn't look bad at all. My guess is what Sony will do is it can be a shaky 60. You get it on Pro, it's now running locked 60, maybe slightly higher res, or it's just locked 120 or something like that, if the game can do it. Obviously, there's going to be games that like tax the CPU so hard that they're not, they're not going to have a 120 hertz mode. But I think that's, I think that's, that, that's probably their goal. And I, I'm curious, though... I guess you kind of answer my question, but what you think about the idea of them like not even really pushing for more RAM or I think it will have like maybe some special ray tracing feature or something, you know, where they can inject that in, like they can run ray tracing better. But I just think it's so interesting to think of an idea of like the opposite approach of like, or a different approach from what Xbox did with the Series S and Series X, which was less RAM, less teraflops, less bandwidth, less everything. And instead just going... Nope, the only difference is actually the same amount of RAM. You make one game, this one is just one metric doubles. I, I wonder what you think about that just moving forward too with like different variants of consoles. Because I think it's easy from the perspective of how much less annoying it probably is for a dev to have. They don't need to make two games. They make one game, this one just runs faster. Yeah, it's contingent, I think, on... First of all, because you, you, you've reported on this in the past, is I now know people who have seen the Pro, who have, who have like been 
shop, like who have, okay. you know, third party publishers. That was the one thing I could say is I don't have someone who has like a, Hey, I'm pointing at it. It's right here. Yeah, like, I don't know. If they, I, I don't know if they have the kits yet, but they have, they have been presented, you know, like okay. people, Sony is going around to them and talking about it, you know? Um, and I think first party and second party had access last year. So, mm-hmm. so from it, what, that was the thing that blew my mind about that leak I put out last week is I couldn't believe from what I was hearing that like they had finished the Silicon over a year ago. <laughs> like this thing was done and done and done. If they rushed it. They probably could have launched it late 2023. Well, here's, here's the amazing thing for me. Cause you, you and I have had this conversation about how well do we think the pro did? And I said mm. that the, the PS4 pro, and I said that I would imagine the pro did about one out of 10 consoles at the most. Right. Mm. And cause it was, it was a little more expensive, but it was also scarce. It was hard to find. I don't know if you remember that. Like there were, you didn't make that many. I yeah, there were months and months where you couldn't well. buy one basically. And at a time. And so in the insomniac leak, this amazing font of information, we found out the number it's actually higher oh. than that. It was almost, I think 20 million. So that would bring it like more like one in. I always heard it was around 20%. So it yeah, was a little that less would be one in six or whatever. So that's, that's high. And that's higher than I would have imagined. And I think so. They probably learned, um, we weren't friends at the time, but I, I reported when PS4 Pro was shopped and w- when they were bringing it around, I was having a lot of developers bitching majorly mm-hmm. about it. I remember it. that. And I was reporting on that. I was saying like, they are not happy about this, but like, this is an annoyance for them. And I would imagine that though it was, it, the feedback I got was it wasn't nearly as bad as it was made out to be. And that it was, they figured it out and it was easier to work with. And you could just ignore it too. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't have to make a patch. And a lot of people didn't. But they must have learned something on Sony's side from that. They, they don't like, want Bloodborne doing 1080p 30 forever. They want to make it so it's literally check a box. Right, exactly. And, and so you have to assume they've got, and now I have no details from the people I've talked to, but they must have gone around now and said like, yeah, this is going to be a, a very streamlined thing directed in a specific direction. Our research shows, they have all the telemetry. Like they, they probably see the interaction of people going into to, you know, the different modes of frame rate and resolution. Mm-hmm. They have all of that. They're heat mapping all of it. And they probably go in with a series of things saying like, this is how easy it's going to be. Here's what's going to look like in the back end on PlayStation neighborhood and all the things you need to do to, to develop the game. And that's easy peasy. And I, I imagine you're right that it's, it's going to be much more simple. And I think that because it's sold so much more, be- more better than I had imagined it did, probably a pretty important piece of tech for them to keep PS5 alive. And I think they probably look at Microsoft as making an unforced error. Like, again, Series S probably was a good idea when it was I think it was a great idea. But it, it ends up, itself. but in the mid and long term, it ends up being a problem because it's not the op, it's the, it's the primary Xbox. It's the Xbox mm-hmm. more people are buying. Like you are, I mean, the, the numbers I've seen is like 80% of sales are the Series S. It's great. And you saw over Christmas, right? I don't know if you saw like the different things from BJ's and Costco or whatever. They were giving these things away, like giving them away. And I think I saw them for, I saw people going on Twitter being like, this is so cheap that you can't not buy it. So I just bought it because it was like a hundred dollars or whatever, you know? Um, oh, wow. You got a uh, Series S was a hundred dollars. Yeah. You can go find, you know, like the big, uh, they put them on like the little, the pallets and the, and you could see like the big price thing or whatever. And they're ridiculous. They, they, often with a rebate or whatever. Sure. Ridiculously cheap. And that means that you're tethered to them. For, and, and I think Sony looks they at that. They can't drop it. You know, right, I had exactly. a developer on recently who said the 10 gigabytes, that's the issue with the Series S. They're like, we cannot fit the game into this console. And it's split memory system too. So it's even more annoying to get it to work. Uh, and they, 
the developer, Brian Heemskirk, um, he said on the show, I almost wonder if they need to drop that at some point. And I said, they can't. <laughs> They've most of their sales, like people talk about the Series X, their console is the Series S. That's the lead Xbox console. They cannot drop support yeah. for it. They are tethered to a 10 gigabyte console trying to run AAA games for the next 10 years. And I think Sony made this calculation before the consoles came out. I'm sure that they messed around with this idea too of modularity, of being like, can we deliver this at multiple levels? And I pr I'm sure they probably looked at it and said, like, why would we do that? Like, there, there's really just no reason to do that. Now their baseline is their normal console. And that's a major advantage. So you would want to benchmark it to that, obviously, and then move forward from there. And you can imagine, I don't know, man, like with the, the rumor of the handheld that you're talking about and the PS6 and whatever, you could just really imagine them nailing this, this hardcore, high power console market completely if Microsoft obviously goes the way of a third party to the point where maybe this is the only option and it, and they maybe project that it will sell even better than they, they assume. But I'm excited well, to yeah. see this thing, dude. I, I can't wait to see it. I want it. I, hopefully it, the form factor of the new PS, the, the slim or the, the, the discless one, like the V2 is so ugly yeah. and so cheap looking. It looks like something you bought in a dollar store that I well, hope you know, that the build of the PS3 was kind of ugly too, to be honest. I think, and I like, I think the PS4 slim was uglier than the original PS4. I think the three, the two ninety nine. PS3 was uglier than the original PS3, to be fair. I think they tend to go for cheapness, bar nothing. <laughs> they just want it to be cheap looking. Totally. Which is very different than what Microsoft does, where I feel like their later console versions actually look nicer. Um, but, you know, so that perfectly goes into one of the last things I want to talk to you about, though, which is the handheld. Got any 2024 New Year's resolutions? Well, my girlfriend's cat does trying to jump around in as much loose wrapping paper as he can. And my dog, Jesse, well, her New Year's resolution is to watch him do that as much as possible for some reason. But for many of us humans, New Year's resolutions usually involve trying to learn a new skill or improve our health while staying happy. And, well, Vite Ramen can help you do that last one. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, or also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, or their new Nano Boost Vitality Powder that I honestly think tastes fantastic and is a great way to get a tasty burst of energy later in the day without cranking yourself up on that third or fourth or fifth, really, cup of coffee that you know you shouldn't be drinking if you want to go to bed at a reasonable time. Seriously, their Vitality Powder, it actually does taste very, very good. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And for all of their products, whether it's kitchenware, uh, powders, or their ramen, of course, click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on all of their fantastic products. They really are a great rapidly growing american startup that's been very good to the moore's law is dead team over the past few years and well due to us actually liking their products and liking them they've been good to us so supporting them supports me and even just clicking on the link in the description makes a big difference as well but i really do like their products and recommend them so check out vite ramen today i have to say especially following further discussions with some people after i put out that leak that 
I think there's a decent chance that what the PlayStation handheld actually is, Colin, is a handheld PS6 Series S, more so than a portable PS4. Really? And maybe hmm. I have no proof, no one who says I've heard this, but what when I talk to people, what makes more sense to you? Well, yeah, and that's always the weird thing with like websites reporting on my leaks is I will make say all this stuff. And then I'll say, I want to be clear, I'm not saying this. And sometimes still the article will just take one sentence I said. I'm used to that. That happens all the time. And like, no, this is what he's, no. I think it's an option, for example, that you could have something with like PS4 specs, but like PlayStation 5 Pro architecture. So it has backwards compact to PS4. But if but if you like tell the developer, hey, when you make your PS5 Pro patch, there's also a checkbox for the PS handheld. It will now run PlayStation 5 Pro at a quarter of the resolution and it can run PS4 base games, something like that. I think that's possible, but would you rather have that come out? Because there's no way it's coming out next year, or I think the year after. But would you rather that come out in 2027, basically? Or would you rather in 2028, Sony says, this is the PlayStation 6, it does this, 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 and this is the PlayStation handheld. It is a half PS6 with full backwards compatibility to the base PS5, 4 Pro, and four cannot run PS5 Pro games, but you can do optimized patches for it. And it is the same architecture as the PS6. So whatever the PS6 runs in 4K, this runs in 1080p a fourth resolution. And it has all the new bells and whistles. Same amount of RAM, maybe. I would hope, by the way, I think that's the mistake Microsoft made with the S. They cannot make again. It has to have the same amount of RAM. Would you rather that come out in 28? Or would you rather, because I think that talking to some context, we think that kind of makes more sense because why would you launch a PS4 handheld right before the PS6 comes out if you could wait a couple of years, even if it came out a year later, and just have the their C Series S be portable? Because the Series S was almost slow enough that they could have made it a handheld, actually, like with how much little energy it used. And I, I, that's kind of what I think would make more sense, especially because that's how you recapture the Japanese market with handhelds. That's, that's actually what I'm wondering. Yeah, I think... That you're, I didn't even think of that, and that that does make more sense. I mean, because I I had been batting around on Sacred the idea of a of a portable PS4 for a long time based on this idea that do they want to be in this market? PS4, so it's crazy. PlayStation Four is more than ten years old now, and new games still come to it regularly. Grand Blue Fantasy Relink is on it. Mm-hmm. That Prince of Persia games on it. The the triple A support is still coming and monthly active users on, on the graph between PS5 and PS4 only became more PS5 than PS4 two quarters ago. So there's mm. still a bunch of people playing, especially in emerging markets, smaller markets, India, whatever. And I look at that and I'm like, is there, is, it's important to know too, PS4 is the first PlayStation Forever platform. It's right. going to be like, that's the, we, and you and I have discussed this in the past, like that's the base, that's the baseline for which all PlayStation consoles will now exist. Like you'll always be able to play your PS4 games moving forward. I, I fully believe that. I don't think they're ever going to cut and that off. Sony has just signed the contracts basically with everything that's ever going to come out with AMD already. Like they're sure. Right. Basically. So it, to me, I look at it and I say, if that's your baseline, then maybe you always want to have some sort of, again, boutique-ish access to that baseline in some sort of handheld form, which is why I thought maybe you would have like a PS4 Pro in a handheld and you could still get a lot of value out of it. Very similar to maybe a Steam Deck in some sense. Mm-hmm. And you really have it be a back catalog and kind of interesting device as opposed to something where you're like playing the newest and greatest thing on it. I know a lot of people like to play some things on Steam Deck like that, but that's not really where you're going to play a lot of your biggest games. You're going to play them on your console. And so it's like some sort of 
some sort of device that you would be married to on the side. And I, I, I wonder if Sony looked at the success of Portal, which I think surprised them based on how mm. few they manufactured. And we're like, well, there's some sort of intrinsic value in maybe playing in this space. And I also think we were talking about timing earlier is that Vita was just badly timed. Yeah. And I think that they, I, agree. I, I think if Vita was more of a PS4 interacting device than a PS3 first interacting device that then worked on PS4, then it might have gone differently for it. But I think they looked at Switch and, and they, why would they ever contend that, not contend that space? Like Nintendo is just dominating it. And well, and I talked yeah. to my brother about this offline the other day. He's like, you know, maybe just Sony though looks into this and then they decide this just isn't worth it. Like, cause they never really had a handheld do that great. And I said, well, maybe they won't launch the handheld. We, we don't know. But what I can say is the PSP sold insanely well. Like it outsold the 3DS. That's crazy. Like what's the next runner up after Nintendo game gear with 10 million. Yeah, sold game gear, and then you're getting like links and all that stuff. Yeah. Like they, you know, they're looking at that and they're going another 80 million sold would be nice. Um, but the funny thing with the Vita is it really was so badly timed for so many reasons. It was like the smartphone gaming bubble burst right there. And no one needed a multimedia device anymore because finally everyone definitely had a smartphone by then. But also if they wanted to run PS3 games, they can't. It's a freaking cell processor. If they would have waited four years, they may have been able to make a handheld PS4, you know, but they just launched the Vita when they had the hardest to program console ever as the standard. And it does make me wonder, like, isn't that almost more evidence that they should wait for the PlayStation 6? Because once you start the clock, the clock is started. But you could wait two years, and presumably, if the PlayStation 6 was the base, this could go on for tw 15 years with a catalog until you're finally late PS7 and you don't have trans-generational um, games anymore, you know? Yeah, it's 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 very fascinating, like a, a thought experiment to think about. I'm thinking about it now, like the, the potential of a linear component to PlayStation 6 that wouldn't require any new games. Because I think that that's the kind of the secret that's Nintendo discovered with the Switch, which is we can't have these two tracks anymore. It's exactly. not working. And we need to just combine them. And And it happens to be that gaming works very well when you combine the two tracks and just having the docked console is brilliant. It, it comes at a massive power differential, but, but there doesn't need to be for Sony. Right, they can exactly. have the base console and then they can have the one that just barely runs next gen games. Actually, you know, I listened to a little bit of the recent sacred symbols. I didn't hear this, but I don't think I listened to enough of it yet to know if you got to this, but one thing that I pointed out that I think is probably a lesser discussed reason Sony would want a handheld now is, you know, yes, they would look at the Vita and go, maybe it was ahead of its time. The technology is now there where we can make a portable, literal PlayStation, and that worked out really well for the Switch and the Steam Deck. But I think what they're also looking at is something that's popped up with the Steam Deck, which is it has the Steam Deck has uh, act as some sort of bulwark against people leaving Steam for other platforms mm. because they go, you know, even if I'm not going to get a Steam Deck or I'm not sure I am, I know if I spend the extra $5 for the Steam version instead of just getting it for free when it comes to Epic or something, at least I own it on Steam. I'd rather play it on Steam than the Epic Store. But also, eventually, if I get a Steam Deck, and who knows, they say this is a platform, maybe there's a Steam Deck too, I know all the games I'm buying on Steam will run on that. I think this could be a 
kind of like a little thing Sony dangles, like, hey, I know you're torn. Do you get the Xbox Series Z or whatever they call it? Or do you get the PlayStation 6 version? And they go, remember, they don't have a portable version. Like, if you get it on ours, you know, this is kind of their argument, too, for what Microsoft actually tried to argue for. You also get it on PC if you get it on Series X. And Sony could say, but you also get it on our handheld. Also, this would make people want to get the digital versions of games more than the disc versions. And I think both of those things were synergistic properties that just did not exist with Vita's time. That they're now looking and going oh, wow, this can promote digital, make people want to buy our platform. And again, a third one, help us sell better in Japan. (laughs) You know, like we almost need a handheld if we ever want to have a PS2 level success there ever again. I think those are really the factors that would make me lean towards that it's probably going to happen. Yeah, I'll be interested to track it. I think, I do think that Portal itself and kind of, again, just being a local device, I think it's so awesome. Like, I love that thing. And so I think it got people's minds open again to the possibility of PlayStation. Well, for sure, TV. it was testing the waters, yeah. right? I mean, this is like when you you see a random remaster of a game, and they're like, they're seeing if people are still interested in this series. So I don't know. We'll find out. I'll, I'll be. I was thrilled, and thank you, by the way, for sharing your reporting with me in a in a more distilled fashion. Because when I had discovered, I woke up and Sacred Symbols is written the night before. So I was like, I don't have time for this. And I emailed you and you emailed me back during the show. And I was thrilled because we were able to include it without having to do an interstitial. So um, I yeah. even uh, removed my double spaces for you. Thank you. Appreciate the that. way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I will admit I am a double oh spacer my God. because I like how it looks. That's fine. Whatever. I mean, teach their own. It's become a, a, a point of great contention in our audience. So it, it makes me laugh every time. I mean, all right. So final thing I want to ask you about. Press Earthblocks writes and he says, what will be the next big thing that the PlayStation 6 or Xbox Next brings to the table? The PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X brought SSDs, dedicated I.O., ray tracing to the masses, and the ability to hit a more consistent 60 frames per second. Will Next Gen be more of the same? And actually, I don't know if you saw my leak on Friday. I guess I should also bring this up in case you didn't. Like, what I was told and what I put out, and I decided to put out because it sounds like it's like basically already over. It's more of an interesting story than it is something I have to keep secret, which is... Apparently, Intel was bidding for the next-gen Xbox hard, like really hard. (laughs) Like Hmm. they wanted the next Xbox to have an Intel APU, not AMD. And over time, the story emerged, the more people I talked to, the story really more so was Microsoft is just shopping around. Like people said they had heard they probably went to NVIDIA as well and all these other people. And Microsoft was really dragging their feet and re-signing the contract for AMD. But Sony's been working on the PlayStation 6 for, I think, over a year now, and they're just starting design work on the next Xbox now. So I think maybe I should just bring that up. And like, I think it's interesting in how desperate Intel was to get into a console. Yeah. Can't imagine the deal they'd have to offer them for them to consider that. But also the fact that Microsoft didn't sign a contract until, and I can't even say I'm 100% sure until like right around now, tells you I really think they considered not making a next gen already. Um, but anyways, the question, like, oh, I wonder what you're expecting out of next generation. I don't know. I mean, you would know better than me as far as the innards are concerned. I would assume it's hard for me to think about what else we really, so the SSD, for instance, was a big revolution with the PS5. Obviously the DualSense controllers, really sophisticated tech. And I, I really like the controller a lot. Um, but you would imagine it, it's what we were saying earlier, which is just going to be fidelity and frame rates. I mean, what else can we really have? I don't even really know where I don't even really know how to answer it's, that question because we have the, the load times we always wanted the access we always wanted the internet connectivity we always wanted 
the cross-platform play we always want. I mean, it, I, I don't really know. It's a very Steve Jobs-ish thing where it's like, are you going to show me what I don't know like that I need? I, I, and I think they are, yeah. actually. And I've just stumbled into it. See, if you were going to ask me two years ago, I would have said when I've heard from some of my people who work at like people like Micron and Hynix, these memory RAM companies, they would have said, oh, what they'll have is like another level of like cash. Like the PlayStation 5 is halfway there. But like there's a new interface called CXL. There's this new thing emerging where like there's like RAM SSDs, like some level of cash where like, I know we say the PS5's SSD is basically RAM. What if it was? What if it was literally RAM? Like that type of instant loading would have repercussions way beyond literally loading. I mean, you'd, you could just like drop things and pull them in and out the way Mark Cerny talked about it in a much more real sense. However... And that might happen. That might be part of it. I don't know. But what I've heard recently is AI. And I feel so dumb for not realizing what it could be used for, which is imagine playing the next Elder Scrolls game. And instead of having four options to respond to somebody, you could just talk or type and it understood you. Like it would be like, do you want to go attack here? Do you want to attack there? (laughs) Romance start (laughs) and something else. It was just, you type whatever you want, and it actually does understand what you said. Like, I think we should raid this camp. And the AI just responds, all right, let's do it. And they actually know what you mean. And then people remember that you raided the camp. And it's not because they pre-programmed 100 different things. You know, you could even, like, 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 you could truly have AI understand what you're typing to them. And I think that sort of thing is, I, I mean, imagine a Fallout game where you can, like, literally talk to them. And no, they're not as smart as a person, but like it at least removes that. I think it will look so, so last gen when I think people who are like eight years or five years old right now become 15 and they're playing games and they're like looking at the original Mass Effect and they're like, why do you have four options to choose from? (laughs) Like that is what I think next gen will be able to do. That would be be so wild because we we talk sometimes about the I'm very skeptical of AIs in the arts, but in terms of me too. In terms of tech, we, we often talk about it in terms of tuning games. Like the idea that, especially single player games, where a game would just be tuned to your exact skill level, like tuned to, mm. it, you could, it just knows everything about you. Or it tracks between games what you're good at and synthesizes it to make the perfect difficulty level or the perfect enemy loadout. Or I don't know. I, that's the kind of stuff I think about in terms of AI's potential to make games better. But the the idea of basically having an open ended, like instead of a thousand barks and pre pre, you know, you have yeah. just like this dynamic world is is amazing, and I believe that that will happen. It's it's you know, <laughs> I don't know who will make it, it first. And he and here's something funny I heard too because I was talking to an AI developer about this. He said that uh, <laughs> he said the funny thing is is you can kind of run AI now. Like if you look at like the things they measure AI performance generally, and right now it's like tops. But like, yeah, a neural engine that can hit 100 tops using one watt of energy would be nice in a console because it can do that simultaneously while your graphics card's running the game. But you could technically use a graphics card with like 40, 50, 100 tops to do that. It would just have to stall. And you could see a situation where like the next Elder Scrolls on next-gen consoles, like you can still type to them. Like half of the innovation of AI is actually making the algorithm itself. So once you have that, you can probably run it on last gen to a certain degree. But it might be a funny situation where like the last gen version, you type to them a question 
And then they go, huh, let me think about that. And you just notice that like for some reason, everyone in the uh, in Skyrim on last gen always seems to take exactly 40 seconds to answer me. <laughs> like everyone's just thinking, you know, like that's the type of thing. And my frame rate goes to crap while they're thinking. Like that's the sort of thing where you could see a cross-gen game where they can kind of make it work last gen, but like it'll be like 60 frames in loading now. You can make Harry Potter run on the Switch, I guess, but like get ready for Ron Weasley to take 10 minutes <laughs> to answer your question. Right. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, I, fun. that's a fun idea. I mean, that that's a whole new level of dynamism. And that would feel next gen, wouldn't it? Like that would be like, we couldn't do this before. That looks so old fashioned that that's the way they used to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both broad and narrow too, in the sense that it's, it's one type of play that's not, like, is that what people would want? Or would there be a, subsection of people that like i want my games written yeah like i want my games the old-fashioned way and that but they could still write the game and then have the ai abstract it and just oh so this is what needs to happen Mm. and it would just be based on i mean look the next the last of us when it comes out in 2050 or whatever they said like i'm pretty sure they're gonna hand craft every little thing but you could still have a situation where the context of what you're doing around like uh, my girlfriend has watched me play the last of us part two recently. I, I recently started playing the remaster again and she started laughing when I like blocked Dina from walking past me. And then she just like started standing there like this. <laughs> running. Them. I think at a minimum though, like naughty dog could use AI. So that happens less often. And if you act like a goofball, Dina would go, why are you climbing on that table or something? Like she could actually be smart enough to say you are acting like a crazy right, right. person. Yeah. Knowing. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's crazy that we're already halfway through the generation basically too. Um, and that, we'll have a pretty good idea of what's happening in this time in three and a half years, maybe four years. So, Oh yeah. Well, so that gets me to the final question here that I have to ask. Um, I, I skipped over a lot of questions about what happens to the game pass business model. I suppose you could touch on that if you wanted to, but just generally speaking, I we've seen from the Xbox leaks, this suggestion that the next Xbox series X refresh is the same console, but now two terabytes of Ram and no disc drive. We've already seen your. There, I saw there's some reporting coming out that, like, in European stores, they're like pulling the Xbox section from their versions of GameStop. And I'm sure some of that is bad sales, but I almost wonder if they know that Microsoft is going to put out a digital only console now. And if you can't sell games with the console, what's the point in carrying it? So I don't know. I wonder if you have any thoughts on how that would go if Xbox went all digital before this gen is even over. And then just what you expect them to do next generation. But also, Balto writes in and says, if Xbox stops making consoles, how would things shake up with the PlayStation 6 and onwards? How cocky do you think Sony and Nintendo would get? Yeah, I think pretty cocky, probably. I'm sure Sony's feeling... Again, we're talking in the shadow of Xbox even saying anything. We just have rumors, and I'm sure Sony is like thrilled right now. And again, it's not a secret to them that this is happening, because they provide the dev kits and the production access and all that so they know mm-hmm. they just didn't know how it was going to be announced um the i think it's a bit of a cop-out sometimes when phil spencer says or has said that losing the xbox one generation was just catastrophic for the brand that this was the mm-hmm. first perm as i said with the ps4 the first kind of permanent console ecosystem that will exist forever and so people start buying their games and they become more and more locked in and more and more locked in and they made this Bill famously said yeah. this was the worst generation to lose. Right. Xbox One. Right. And 
he said that specifically because of the digital access to games for the first time in a major way. People have to remember that PS4 and Xbox One, and this is, again, a quaint thing, but it's they were the first consoles that required you to have a digital version of your game. Many games would still come out on PS3 mm-hmm. and Xbox 360 that had no digital version at all. And that wasn't, that wasn't uncommon. That was actually very common. And people kind of forget about that. And so that's when everyone started becoming permanently digitally involved in an ecosystem, and they kind of used that as a cop-out. But I think they made a bet that in light of that made a lot of sense, which is to say, we're going to have the subscription model that will try to overturn the Apple cart so that people start looking at games the way they look at TV and movies, which is that they don't really want to spend money on them anymore. With the rare exception, you have you know your films and theater and, and all the rest, but that they look at subscription model as, as valuable. And this had, they must have game, war gamed this out and known that this was going to happen, but they, they thought it was worth it considering their growth models where this taught their audience over time to not buy games. Mm. And first of all, I know this is someone who releases games on Xbox, although we were a small developer, but I talk to people. It's like their games don't sell on Xbox either. During the ABK FTC trial, I thought Microsoft was very, very disingenuous when they presented that thing saying like, look at all the exclusives PS4 has and PS5 have, and look at how few exclusives we have. And I was saying to our audience, and I'm like, dude, 90% of those exclusives are optional. Like they don't want to bring their games to Xbox because they don't want, they don't, they're not going to make any money. There's nothing stopping, mm. there's nothing stopping like Atelier Riza from coming to Xbox. They just don't want to sell 5,000 copies of the game. So they that's just an interesting point you're making, by the way, because I've seen it on at least VG charts, you know, and I don't know how accurate their data still is, but like you'll see a game come out and their estimates are like the Xbox version, just random third party games are selling like a fourth, a fifth, a sixth as well as the PlayStation version. It's it, it's definitely happening. I just know that from talking to people. And then so that had this erosive effect with digital games, but it had this erosive effect with physical games, too. And this is this is the miscalculation that I think Microsoft has made in terms of kind of being in the zeitgeist, being in the eye of the consumer and all of the rest. They're like, you don't need our console to play Game Pass. It's like, okay, so no one's going to buy your console. Then you have no captive game, or you have fewer captive Game Pass subscribers. Those few captive Game Pass subscribers aren't buying games anymore. You have this teeter-tottering domino effect that ultimately gets them to the point where it's like, why do we even have this disk drive anymore? We don't... Mm. I'll give you another example. My All of our games are on Xbox, and we I, I personally fund through East Asia Soft, I co-publish our physical copies of their game. So I pay for the manufacturer, small upfront fee per item made in China, ships it to me. We make the special editions ourselves and sell them off. So we've done this for PS4 and we're doing it for PS5 now. And the minimum buy for PS5 and PS4 is 1,000 games. It's 1,018, I think, Mm -hmm. at something like $12 each gross or whatever. On Switch, you have to publish 3,000 games at a similar gross or whatever. There is no option to publish Xbox games. Like we don't even have the option because they don't, there's no like, there's no limited boutique licensing of Xbox games. So when people ask, oh, are you going to put her proxy on Xbox? It's like, we can't do that. Like there's literally no option. There's not even a way for us to buy into that. And then you read like limited run games and all of the rest where they're basically giving away Xbox games at this point because they can't sell them. Like the Mm. the ones that they do print. So there's this huge cascading. Oh, I saw that. There's this huge, I saw that in the news. It was crazy. It, it's a cascading effect, like a circular firing squad. And it was, a, it was, I don't think it was an unwise bet, but it, was a, it ended up being the bad bet. Because again, they don't have the creative talent to manage what would be necessary to make Game Pass work. And so now they have to make concessions. And I think the concession is, 
we really have to maybe even double down on this model, like at least double down on digital only and just eschew the entire physical space, which is a small thing. I mean, physical games are not huge and anymore, but there's a place for them. And so I just think they've kind of made their own bed and they have no options now, really. They're out of, they're out of options. They spent all this money on these publishers. They've made their family so much bigger. Their headcount is enormous. Their production costs are enormous. And then they have this, this flat subscription model. And as we said earlier in the conversation, they have to peek over that arc to start making money. They're so far beyond, behind it. I, and this is all going to become very ironic with physical media when Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves and all these games come to PlayStation as they're rumored to do. They're probably going to be physical versions of the games. And you know what? There were no physical versions of those games on Xbox at all. And their yeah. first party games. So that's the... And that's what I really want to see if Microsoft lets Nintendo and Sony publish those games, like, you know, physically. Um, or if they just say, please don't. Yeah, like, or like, you can't so do bad. this, you know, because that will be... That'd be their MLB the show moment. Yeah, exactly. Where, and that's what I said earlier is like, I feel bad for Microsoft in some sense. They're, they're nice people there and all the rest and they're trying their hardest, but they weren't, they weren't the, they weren't kind to Sony either with certain things. So it's like, I don't expect Sony to go easy on them at this point. No. And, I, and I would imagine Sony looks at this as utter capitulation, like total victory. I would assume if this is, if this is the way it ends up happening. The only thing that I'm surprised by, and I'll get more into this on our shows when I flesh it out with the guys, is people are giving me a lot of credit in our audience for being like, you called this, this was going to happen. I'm like, I kind of called it. I honestly thought that Game Pass would come to PlayStation. Right? Mm. Like, and, and, and what I mean is a, is a bespoke first and second party version of Game Pass that Sony would have been like, have at it, dude. You know, like, put your $20 subscription on Sony. We'll take $6.50 of every subscription yeah. every month. And you can have your games over here. And that's great. It's actually even worse because Sony's now going to make 30%. And Phil Spencer's on the record saying literally, Sony takes the games that we, the money from the games we sell on their platform and uses it to, to basically foreclose us. And now, with that quote out there, they're going to put their games on PlayStation. And it's times are a changing, you know, um, in a major way. I think that depending on what they say when they finally speak about this, I think it could be looked at as the beginning of the end of the console war. In some quote, although I think it's been over for a couple of generations, really. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's just I think the the headlines again for that leak I put out Friday about Intel trying to win the next Xbox. You know, of course, that's what most of the headlines said is. Can you believe there could be an Intel powered Xbox Q AI generated thumbnail that they would put on their <laughs> website or something? Um, but my takeaways for that really were there's the Intel side, which I'll skip past because we're not really talking about that here. But really the takeaway is that they took this long to decide if they wanted to make another generation. Like that's, yeah, they're probably still going back to AMD from what I've heard. They they love jerking around AMD, by the way. Microsoft does apparently. Um, and, the but the fact that they took this long, what I heard from some people at AMD specifically too was, they tend to shop around. They tend to threaten they're going to leave us. We don't think it would make sense if they did. But it's been a few months where it's like weird they haven't called us back yet. Like, I think that's just something people should have in the back of their head if for the next generation is like, they almost canceled this already. So it's it's going to be launching on shaky waters, you know? And you almost wonder if it would be like a Dreamcast thing could be possible. Yeah. Where, I like, do you think that's something people should? I'm asking you without even getting into insider things I've heard. Like, is that something do you think people should be worried about? I think that 
I think it's possible that Xbox is not a, a player on the console market anymore by next generation based on the way it all depends on what they say. Cause we're, we're speaking in, in some sort of a, 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 like this interstitial period of mystery, but yeah, there's some sense that it was never their Their marketing all says that it's not important. Their marketing is all like, don't need a console. Don't need an Xbox. Don't need to buy games. Don't it's like, okay, that, that this is kind of the future you've built for yourself. And people lose sight of this, Dom. And I know you, you understand this perfectly well is, when Sony outsells you three to one in a month, that's bad. When that mm. happens every month, um, that's a that's compounding more money problem. being put away that they're using to make more games that will be on their console. Right, it's just com- like three to one, three to one, three to one, three to one. Before that's sixty twenty. You know, that's like uh, not that I'm not saying those are the numbers or not, but it's like that's disastrous. And that it's it's like it's like in, um, inflation when they say inflation's coming down and it's like but, but until inflation is at zero it's still going up, you know like yeah. the, the cost is still going up. It's it's the same problem. They, I I would imagine as I said earlier that the strategy is 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 in flux and has probably changed. I think that the strategy has manifestly changed in between when they wanted to buy ABK and when it was closed. There's no doubt something changed there. And by the way, we know how they feel about all this stuff. They, they've just been kind of lying and obfuscating about it and they get away with it. You know, Tim Stewart, who's the CFO of Xbox, came out on CNBC and literally said they were putting their games on Switch and PlayStation. And then everyone was like, oh, oh no, 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 what are you doing? I missed that. That's funny. Yeah, but that no one talks about it for ago. some reason. That was weeks ago. And then Phil Spencer came out and gave an interview where he's like, we're not putting Game Pass on PlayStation. And it's like, why did you let him off the hook? That's not what he fucking said. They were talking about the games, you know, and now we're getting the the fruit of this. They were they've been laying the groundwork for this quietly for a while. I think. Again, uh, how much this mirrors what's going on with Intel's graphics division, where like I'm sure you didn't see this, but like a couple of years ago, they showed off a roadmap where they're like, "We'll have enthusiast graphics in 2022," and then they never came out. And I'm like, "Why is no one asking this them about this?" And they're like, "Well, it's just coming out late. You know, they're definitely going to launch it now. There's like next quarter," and I'm like, "Next quarter." There would be pictures of this. Everyone would be talking about this if this was coming out next quarter. No, it's not. Like, and I don't know. There's just some parts of the press that just let these companies lie. Yeah, they just let I them don't lie. Understand. They don't. They don't care. It was so. I actually the. Um, I've told I've spoken to the guy that interviewed Phil Spencer about that because he's a friend of mine. Where I'm like, oh, you let him off the hook, like, and and he was like, I just had a very limited amount of time. I couldn't really press him on that. And I'm like, that's that's fine. I understand that's that. But the whole story, though, I would argue, you know. But I just think it's this is what I don't feel so bad because this is what it seemed like Microsoft and Xbox fans really wanted, which was massive consolidation. And now you are dealing with the repercussions of you consolidating, you know, of like Mm. you having all this, this, this massive, not to fulfill your fucking massive headcount, your expectations, you own call of duty. You have to make money, 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 money. You have to make lots of money to sustain this thing. And I just, I just think it's surprising that the same people are in charge um, and we'll see how it all goes. And I guess they're going to speak next week. So we'll find out. But if you are in charge, what would you do? What would you say the next Xbox should be? Because my argument, just to like give you some context would be, I think the mistake they made with the series S and X is thinking they have to have, they have to beat Sony and specs on one end and also have the cheapest console. Just make a good device. Stop being obsessed with your competition. Like, I think if they would have had a 16 gigabyte console that was a little weaker than the PS5, but then they didn't have to make two versions, they could have sold it for like 350 or 400. 
like an Xbox Series S that's a little better without weaknesses. I think that could have worked as the Game Pass vehicle. But the problem is you have a weak one or you have a stronger one that people don't want to spend as much for. And I would argue that's what they should do next gen is it sounds like you think they have to double down on Game Pass. I think that's well, the only do, option. I think that's the only option, in my opinion. So, so if we know the PlayStation 6 is probably coming out 2027, 2028, I mean, then I would argue Microsoft should try to beat Sony to market with something $100 cheaper than what Sony will charge with something that can do all of the same things. Like, and then this is the cheap next-gen Game Pass thing, and they just have to go hard for it. Because I don't really see any other gambit i don't know what else they can try to do i mean they can't walk back game pass right i mean no you can't that, that's what i've been saying to people is that, I, that maybe they can but i think that if they did then that would be that would be the end of i i think the brand as we understand it because they have think about this dude like your most hardcore audience isn't buying their games when if you cut them off from game pass they don't own anything they've been playing or they own very little of what they've been playing like it's you can't because some people say, like, what if they rolled back day one on Game Pass? And I'm like, can't. Oh. That's like, you you can't do it. Like, and, and that's, that's why... the number one thing they kind of need to do to save the profitability. And that's when Blade was announced or whatever, and everyone was getting mad at me, and, and they didn't say, console, like, what console is coming to. I'm like, that game is coming to PlayStation. And people were like, you're such a fanboy. And I'm like, now it's more obvious than ever. You know, that, that, <laughs> that the reason they didn't say the platforms was because it's coming to PlayStation. But my opinion is that Microsoft's probably best path of salvation is, is to be more passive. And what I mean by that is maybe become an agnostic third-party publisher of your games. Have this console and this way. So think about like Amazon Prime or something where it's just this passive platform that you can go on. You can, you can peruse it. You can buy whatever you want. You can subscribe. You have all these different conduits. But it's not really pushing very much on you. And this is a way to kind of have Microsoft gaming and people on Game Pass and just say, like, come here and get the great value from our, our product. In fact, you could, the gambit might simply be, and this might not be a bad idea, is to raise the specter of Game Pass being more valuable to more people, we actually have to start selling our games on other platforms in order to mm. say, in order to draw the contrast, right? Over and over and over again. And I made this argument years Everyone's ago. Everyone's played the new Halo. Everyone's played the new Fable. Oh, if I just got an Xbox, right, I could be exactly. playing this for free. Right. Maybe, you, maybe you're like, all right, I'll just buy Starfield for $70. And then the next month, it's like a vow. And it's like, all right, I'll buy that for $70. And then the next game comes out and you're like, maybe I really should just go and get Game Pass. You know? And maybe that's a more power. Maybe that might be the calculus is to say like, this is, we not only will we make money, like lots of money. When they put Starfield, I have no interest in playing it, especially at 30 frames. But if they put Starfield <laughs> on PS5, like is rumored, it's going to sell millions of copies. That, that's money they yeah. didn't account for. Millions. It will sell millions, you know? And they can say, like, maybe that benefits us. It certainly does. And maybe we capture, like, a couple percent of them and just bring them over. And maybe if we do that, a war of attrition, people will start to see the value in, in our product. more time. Yeah. What they need to buy is way more time. Right, exactly. And so I think that that's probably the end goal. And I think that you can't unravel Game Pass and Xbox. They are going to go down together if it like that they are one the day one all of our games on game pass that you can't back that up i think the only game that might get out of that is call of duty and i think that that's because yeah. it's just so expensive to make that game pass didn't move the needle when starfield came to it it's it, I, I and no and i thought that was the most damning thing yeah. i'm like well this doesn't make people sign up this was the test and people say like how do you know that and i'm like because they didn't say anything they didn't announce numbers like I, again microsoft wouldn't shut the fuck up 
during the Xbox 360 era. They were say they were shouting numbers from the rooftop every two seconds about everything. When you don't have things you want to say, you stop talking about it. And so I think that maybe certainly selling games on PlayStation and Nintendo is going to make them a ton of money. And it might just be that Xbox turns into a label. Not, and that has kind of this hardware that you can mess around with if you want, but you don't really need it. And that's the verbiage that they've been doing and they train their audience to be like this. So they have, the problem for them is that if they reverse course, they have no one to fall back on. Like mm-hmm. their evangelists are the Game Pass subscribers. Then you're, now you're going to tell them, oh, never mind. The mental gymnastics would be funny though to see what oh they start God, arguing. The fanboys will say anything about it, but like that's, they made their bed, they made, they made their, their bed and now they have to kind of see it through. But I'm very interested to see what is real and what's not. The rumors as the time we're talking are so damning. It's like, is this one person saying all this or is this coming yeah. from multiple people? And are they trying to kind of sow discord to try to change? The- I can tell you that I've heard from people at places like AMD, Apple, NVIDIA, Intel, who have friends at the Xbox group that it's hard for me to believe what I'm hearing, but it's like it's red alert there right now is what I hear that like my friend, like there's monthly meetings on how are we going to pivot this business model in the next, like we have one year to pivot this or we're not. Cause like uh, supposedly the sales are just collapsing so much faster than they expected. Well, you, like there's, you, there's you, some marketing, thing here. your marketing tells them not to buy the console. The big Starfield ads that were, people were seeing was no console required. And then a Starfield logo. I didn't see that. Jeez. What do you think is going to happen? That's, that was the, that was the Achilles heel of the strategy was, it's not that Game Pass isn't a bad, is a good or a bad idea in and of itself. It's that you have to tether it to the console and make them married to each other so that everyone that buys an Xbox gets Game Pass and you can rely on them, you know, on both of those things. But if you tell people, oh, don't buy the console, it's like, okay, I won't. And then maybe I'll get Game Pass somewhere, but I'll just every third party game I'll buy, I'll buy on PlayStation and they'll get 30% or Steam and they'll get 30%. It was just, it was kind of silly. It's, and I think that maybe it's becoming more urgent because they just spent so much money. Mm. Understand Activision, yeah. the purchase of Activision, as far as I understand, in the hardcore console space is worth more than every acquisition that has ever happened combined. So, um, <laughs> and people will round up to like what, 70 billion. They're rounding up like an insomniac purchase. Right, exactly. Like an entire insomniac purchase it's, is what we're rounding by. It's interesting that, and I'm sure it, it, it's probably very urgent. Just think about all the people they absorbed. Like the whole pipeline that they absorbed is, is enormous. And oh, wait, Jesus, it's 10 insomniac purchases is what we're rounding up. Right, on. right. Yes, it's 60, Jesus, 70, it's, right. So, yeah, it's just, it's funny. So, anyway, I, I digress. I'm, I'm, ran, I'm rambling and ranting, but I just think it's, this was, it's kind of freeing for me because I was right. And it wasn't from any other place than just looking at the financials. It just didn't make sense. And the deep, parasocialism that exists between Xbox executives and their hardcore fan base in some sense, they just they'll piss on them and, and they'll tell them it's raining and they'll be like, yeah. And <laughs> and I just, there are annoying PlayStation fanboys out there. No those people, I, I don't know. My experience, those people definitely exist for, and you be, this may not surprise you for like NVIDIA and AMD and Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's wild. I will say the console ones are the most insane and from my perspective, I've had to deal with a ton of crazy Xbox people, but I will say I've had to deal with some insane PlayStation people. I, I mean, I'm well, I'm sure you understand. No, that the, than, there's dude, there's a whole contingent of PlayStation people that just don't think I'm, a f- I'm enough of a fan, you know, like, so that's usually what it is, yeah. is they're just like, because like I would have leaks before the PS5 came out that said some good things, but then I'd have one where I'm like, well, this doesn't sound good. Oh, 
Oh my God. The second you say one bad thing, the PlayStation, the most insane PlayStation fanboys, it's like you, you strayed from the religion, the scripture. <laughs> like you can only say, and the, X, the, the Xbox, I, I, feel, I know I can see it. Like the Xbox fans are going through it right now. And, and in a way it's easy to trivialize them, but I, I understand like they invested in platforms and digital ecosystems that might, I say to my audience all the time, they're like, what, aren't you worried about your digital games going away? And I'm like, dude, if PlayStation goes away, Sony will go away. Like, it, it, it's almost impossible to imagine that. Yeah. But now they're looking at a, a vision where it's like, your shit might actually maybe go away. I mean, it, it's definitely on some sort of clock that doesn't exist on the other side. And I understand why people are, are upset about that. I'd be upset too. Yeah. The one thing I would say, the one ace, I think, or maybe Jack, that... Microsoft could play that I'm, I, I think it's incredible they haven't played this yet. Um, I heard rumors they might, but it never happened. Maybe it was just people speculating behind the scenes. Uh, like that they don't run Windows. Like if they could launch a year before the PlayStation 6 with a $400 box that feels next gen, that runs Game Pass and runs Windows, like there's a switch you flip and it just boots up with AMD drivers and runs Windows 12 natively. And you can just download Steam and use it like a, that is how you like take part of back to school sales. It's like, don't, it still has the Xbox mode that has the Xbox discs that does all of that. But it took us almost nothing actually <laughs> to make it so it could run native Windows with its own AMD driver download. Doing that, at least you could say we are, like you said, the more passive option. We're cheaper. We can play all the same games. We have Game Pass and you can plug in a keyboard and mouse and play your entire Steam catalog here. Like that sort of thing. I mean, it's Windows. I don't understand why they would be forcing the Xbox to run Windows, which they are for their OS, which is less efficient than a natively to the metal operating system unless they were going to do that. And I think that's the one thing they could play next gen that would be interesting. And this would put them in line with how I, I mean, I, I am a, I'm not a student of modern Microsoft at all, but I am a student of of Albuquerque Microsoft and early, you know, the the early Windows and Mac um, Microsoft, and, and read a lot of books from that era. And this seems to bring them in line with the whole vision to begin with, which is yeah, that was the point. A complete <laughs> platform agnosticism, like and and Satya says that as a 30 year veteran or whatever of Microsoft, like that's their whole vision. Like they were booted off of Macintosh for stealing that stuff and putting it into Windows and putting it on PC or whatever. They want to be ubiquitous. Every time they get into hardware, whether it's like Zune or the Windows phone or whatever, it's almost, it's strange because it's like, this isn't really your strength. You're a services company. And having that, just having a passive thing being like, all of our Xbox games will of course be on Xbox, but we're going to put them everywhere. Seems to be more with play, plays well with their entire strategy going back to the very beginning. So that's why it's, it's almost like a full circle sort of thing. And maybe that's where the pressure is coming from, especially because I think that I, we'll have to see how it all plays out, but I would imagine in, internally they kind of feel like they got got with ABK a little bit just on the price. And oh, how could they yeah, not? And, I mean, and yeah. So we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it's all speculation until that we hear more from them. All right. Well, we have been go. I've already taken up over two hours of your time, and we at least managed to touch on every subject here. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, unless there's anything else you wanted to discuss. Well, this train is going by me. I will let you. This train that I have, of course, tactically had go by when you plug your own content. Please plug yourself. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it was good to be on, uh, be on here with you. We'll definitely have you on Sacred Plus soon to talk about all the tech stuff. We are out of, we, we are, we have precious little real estate right now because 
we cut Sacred Symbols Plus from twice a week to once a week. Um, mm-hmm. So we used to have like almost a, a constant need and now we have almost too much content. But that's because we have our new show, Summon Sign, that's hosted by X-Easy Allies host, uh, Brad Ellis. And we're really proud of that. But yeah, you can find me on Sacred Symbols. Our, our content's on Patreon, but don't, don't subscribe on Patreon until you, you can listen to all the content for free and then figure out if you like it from there. And um, we're on YouTube and podcast services. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you and talk about this. And congratulations on such a great scoop. Um, oh, I, was, I was happy yeah, for you when I, mean, I saw that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I won't say more about how I got it. I, but I, I was, that was one of those that I was excited about too, because I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> like, this is something different here. Um, and I'm sure we'll be seeing, you know, of course, just like with the PlayStation 5 Pro Week from a few year, we, years ago. Much more stuff start trickling out from other sources probably within the next year as well. So cool, man. plenty of space to talk about it. And again, thank you for coming on. Thank you to everybody for listening. Of course, subscribe to Moore's Laws Dead on YouTube. Ring the bell button. Tell your friends about us. Give us a review on your podcast app of choice. Download it 100 times with 10 phones in one room, like in Silicon Valley with whatever they're doing with the blockchain. And we have a Patreon as well. You can ask us questions. And otherwise, I mean, yeah, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, everybody. And have a great week. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... 
If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Gita Fold, Z Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jen Rano, Daniel High, GZ Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Deke, Nicholas Buckner, SNAS Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Jensen Wang, Hardforum.com, Gregory S. Acker, Andrew S. Sarcaster, Evan Dingle, Chris Rich, Compressed Earthflocks, 3DS Boy08, Hal Buma, Greg Wanchuk, Shredberg, Dr. Forvin, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Oldham Mobley, Blake, Franco Frederick, Sammy Malas, Jake223, Jake Martin, Jordan Simkovic, Zlicky, Julian Leak. The Boss Haas, Stefan Hart, Meat and Pork, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Stefan, Toka, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Chrysantine, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, I should, Mark Raidmaker, The Eternal Dreamers, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Judson N, Neithra Zink, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Shang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Hexapuma, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Game and Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, Loophole 35, JSMH, Windstar, James I, Raider, Corey Ladar, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Timmy Witters, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glennon, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-7-11-700-K, Joe Foot, Hardland, Sl- Earth, Taurus, Slushpaw, Jansen, Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Himsa Gung, Tails, 2299, Neil, Val Verga, John, Sisyphos, Dale Russell, The Forbidden Juice, Perlington, Winwang, Arby Racer, AC, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mad, Alex Vega, Freedy, Brian Wright, John Swin, Angel of Cake, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarized 80, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Sa- Johnson, Penta, Winter, Roan Mickey, Cornstar671, Sprutnik, Jeffrey Jenneman, and of course, Thank you to Sahara for the music.